Hello, I'm Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager, Stargate Atlantis, and not yet the Star Wars franchise, telling you that you are listening to Below the Belt. The Below the Belt show is closed captioned for the hearing impaired. It is now time for the bad boys of Baltimore. Pips up. Goes down. That's right, guys. Time for another episode of BTB Below the Belt in the House in your favorite galaxy. Here you are, Al Soto, aka Celebrity Soto, your host with the most here for your weekly pleasure. Wow, and we have a show that's out of this world. Pun intended. Let's start by, um, and we're actually starting with our special guest of the evening. But let's go ahead and introduce the co host, if you will. First of all, well, you know me, I'm Al Soto, your host of the most, and of course, my co-host extraordinaire, the the man with the coming presence. He's also known as the Persian Prince of Pop Culture, the Zadi, and he's got a lot of other nicknames, Mike the General Zod. Hello, everyone. Maybe, uh, maybe instead, uh, like, I think it needs a little bit more alliteration. Instead of the Persian Prince of Pop Culture, let's go with the Persian Prince of Poptopia. <laughs> I, love, I love it but also joining me as guest co-host she is the amazing the multi-talented she's an actress she's also a nasa ambassador he's a little camera shy today but that is okay she is kelly christopher hello everybody and that is one of the things that no one will ever describe me as as camera shy so sorry for my technical difficulties but yes my camera does not want to play today it's okay we all have very fertile imaginations so it's uh that will be just fine without a camera good good god is trying not to border on creepy on that statement but nonetheless let's <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and interest. we're starting we're starting you know, starting racing guys, it was like, you know, like the Irish uh, holes are in a fire. We are starting with our special guest. Let's introduce him. Um, an amazing, amazing mind. Uh, he is an astrophysicist. He uh, is the heliophysics uh, director uh, for NASA. And he's got a, um, a space weather blog, uh, thesuntoday.org, uh, the one and only. Dr. C. Alex Young, joining us here on BTV. Oh, thanks for having me. I have to make one correction. Uh, I'm the Associate Director for Science in Heliophysics at Goddard. I think if the uh, Director of Heliophysics at NASA headquarters heard that, they might get a little uh, bit out of shape. So <laughs> I don't I don't really care because I think it sounds great, but I figured I should say that just to cover my uh, cover myself. Great. I have a feeling the the heliophysics staff are very, very forgiving. Yeah, I think so. 
Well, you know, it's interesting as as um someone with a PhD in in astrophysics, I find it fascinating that you were pulled into comic lens. So how did the association with being of someone with an expert in your field tied to pop culture cons, sci-fi cons, you've been to Shore Leave, you're just at San Diego Comic-Con. How, does the, how do those two worlds intertwine? Well, I mean, the one of the things that actually got me into science in the first place was science fiction. In particular, it was um, Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Now, I'm not actually old enough to have watched it uh, originally, so I'll make that point clear. Uh, but I, I saw it in syndication and also my dad bought me, um, bought me a couple of my first sci-fi books by Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke. And, you know, that, that, and my mom got me my first, uh, subscription, which was to Superman. So those are, you know, those are the, some of the things that really got me going. Wow. So got you going as far as a sci-fi. So pick all of that. And that, does that automatically bring your interest to study astrophysics and astronomy? Well, I think definitely the Star Trek side did. And around the same time when I started to get interest interested was the early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s, when the Voyager spacecraft were launched, uh, the two Voyager spacecraft, as well as the beginning of the shuttle program in the early 80s and uh, TV series called cosmos by carl sagan not to be mm-hmm. confused with the 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 new one which is the same series done by uh, neil degrasse tyson but the original one was uh by carl sagan okay. so so all and i also will say that you know for star trek i mean captain kirk was cool but i really wanted to be like mr spock so you know it was really the science officer that that and i could you know uh was super strong and could uh get somebody the vulcan nerve pinch you know that's what i wanted to do so <laughs> Who doesn't want to be able to do that? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a question really quick. Uh, out of all the sci-fi pop culture franchises out there, and you being a scientist, what is the most feasible for actually happening actually happening with us here uh, as far as the technology we have today or maybe will have in the future? Well, I mean uh... – it's tough to say there, you know, there's a, there's some good things in Star Trek and some difficult things. I think uh, warp drive may be a possibility because you, you know, the idea of bending space teleporters, transporters, which is too bad because I would love to have a transporter, but I think oh, trans wow. transporters are probably, you know, a long ways away uh, if it, if at all possible, but maybe something like the expanse, might be was thinking about you know a little yeah. more realistic i think in sci-fi um the 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 unfortunate uh, truth that that bums me out is we're pretty much stuck in this solar system for the you know for a long time cuz yeah. getting outside the solar system and you know traveling at the kind of speeds and that you need and the distances that it's uh, it's going to be tough so yeah, because, yeah, uh, you know, with the immutable rule that nothing can go faster than the speed of light without uh, going into uh, <laughs> without uh, without going into some pretty uncharted science there. Yeah. I mean, with that, I mean, it would take years just to uh, wouldn't it take wouldn't it take it. And I could be wrong about this, but how long would it take if we went the speed of light? 
to go past the uh, to, to go um, past the solar system? Well, we would get out of the solar system uh, in a matter of well, the full extent maybe in a matter of like a, a day or something. I mean, it would we would it's it's pretty big, but you know the solar system is on the scale of billions of miles, but light year a light year. Uh, well, light light will travel probably. I I have to like do a calculation. I can't quite remember, but it's usually something like about a, a day or so. Okay. Um. So it's not it's not you know it's not too it's not too out of the question now. If you want to go to the first star system, which most of us have probably encountered from science fiction, which is Alpha Centauri, that's yes. um that's almost four light years away. So you would have to if you were traveling at the speed of light, take you four, four years. years. Yeah. The, pro the problem with that is then you get in stuck in the um, what's called the twin paradox because time is going to slow down for you. So if mm -hmm. you were to travel there and come back, all of your friends would be uh, super old or will have already died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like interstellar, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's pretty much yeah. interstellar, did it? Well, the other thing, yeah, and interstellar also uh, adds... So that's special relativity, which is related to the speed of light, and then general relativity is related related to gravitation, and that's what they experienced in uh, Interstellar is being around a, something that has such a strong gravitational field that also slows down time. Um, and so, probably the only way we're going to get outside our solar system in a reasonable amount of time uh, would be if we could bend space. Which is basically what a warp, you know, what's what a warp engine does is yeah. it, it bends space because space itself is not limited by the 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 speed limit of light. Mm -hmm. And that's I'm why you saw sure. it as a as a bubble in Interstellar because it was being bent. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Space was being bent by the black hole. Um, mm -hmm. And now the other way we could do maybe some interstellar travel like going to Alpha Centauri would be like a, co a colony ship where people lived on the ship and generations were, you know, born and died on the ship. That would probably be the most feasible way with the technology we have. Yeah. There was also that movie Passengers with um, right. uh, yes. Jennifer That's Lawrence and um, Chris yeah. Pratt where everybody was just yes. sleeping and he accidentally woke up and then Spoiler, <laughs> woke her up because he liked her. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And yeah. they lived their entire lives and died on the ship and, you know, kept it going until such time that the ship reached its destination. Everybody woke up and, you know, saw everything that had transpired on the ship with those two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you would need a ship that you could grow, grow food on. It would have to be pretty good size. You have, it'd have to be very self-sustained, you know, yeah. water recycling and all that kind of stuff. Yep. There's no garage to pull up if you've got a flat tire so exactly. you gotta figure gotta out carry to it all, all yeah problems. gotta carry yeah. it with you actually yeah. one of the things that's really been a boom in that area is 3d printing so at some point mm -hmm. you know we'll be able to print our own tools and resources on board and that's something that they're already starting to do on the space station yep mm -hmm. that amazing now um dr young you were just you're fresh back from san diego comic-con Tell us about your experience. You did a panel on uh, eclipses and shadow chasers. Yeah, we did. So we did two panels. We did a panel on eclipses. So there are two eclipses coming up. The 
uh, in the United States. There's an annular eclipse on October 14th of this year. And then there's a total solar eclipse on April 8th of next year, uh, which will be very similar to the, you know, the 2017 eclipse. Um, and so we had a panel on that. A panel was about like what to expect. And I taught, we all talked about some of our first eclipse experiences or, you know, memorable eclipse experiences. And then the other panel was, uh, basically on space weather, you know, it was about the sun, but it was basically the, the space weather that's created by the sun and what is the impact on our society and what's the impact on us personally, that sort of thing. Um, and it was, it was great. I mean, we had, you know, a good turnout. We had both, both, uh, both rooms were full. So like about 300 in one room and close to 500 or so in the other room. So that was great. And uh, I'd never been to, to San Diego Con. I'd always wanted to go. Um, it was amazing and it was unbelievably overwhelming. It was like so much stimulus. I mean, just like so many people, which I haven't been around that many people since COVID. Um, so I didn't think that I would be bothered by that many people, but it was a little bit, you know, it was, it was definitely a lot. But there was just, it was like being in Tokyo. It reminds me of Tokyo is so much... There's so many lights and signs and all this sort of stuff in Tokyo. It's just like sensory overload. And that's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that because there was big void um, because they didn't have a lot of the, the panels, the celebrity panels with a lot of studios. Uh, um, well, a lot of the actors and writers being on strike uh, were not promoting uh, a lot of um, their TV shows and, and films. But you're, you're telling us still it was still a lot going on uh people like yourself and a lot of comic creators kept the, the san diego comic con still interesting despite the lack of celebrities yeah I, I i don't know you know i don't have anything to relate to however some people told me that the exhibit hall was even more packed and more uh exciting because of the fact that that they weren't relying on the panel so i think that people put a little bit more uh, money and exciting excitement into the exhibit hall itself. Wow. wow. I'm glad to hear that. I was a little worried about it. Yeah. Ellie, have you been to San Diego Comic-Con? Yes, <laughs> probably 20 some years ago, probably 26 oh. years ago. <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> and it was, it was an amazing event um, even back then that far back. So. I would yeah. love to go again someday, but I actually want to be on a panel. <laughs> this time a panel around, well. It's supposed to be in the audience. So, well, so, yeah. so, so Kelly, how long have you been a, are you a solar system ambassador? Yes. And you, you said it correctly. Yes. Um, I'm in my <laughs> sixth year right now. Um, most people at NASA actually don't know we exist. Um, but uh, yes, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, well, you know about us. I, I, I know because I've worked with the Solar System Ambassadors for about seven years. I ran an, edu <gasps> an educational Kay. program. So I know Kay Ferrari very well. Okay, and, yeah, she's our manager. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I used to run a education program out of the Science Mission Directorate at NASA headquarters for seven years. Um, and one of my collaborators and partners was Kay Ferrari and the Solar System Ambassadors. Yeah, we've been around for a long time, and yeah. uh, it is one of my greatest joys in my entire life when I was selected in 2017. So it's been an amazing ride, and I have big plans with my ambassadorship 
as good as I keep going. So, oh yeah. So, so for, the, for those of our listeners who uh, aren't familiar, can you tell can you tell us a little bit more about the Solar System Ambassador Program? Sure. So what we do, uh, the ambassadors, we do public outreach. So we have um, private meetings with the science scientists and engineers at NASA um, regarding a variety of missions. Um, and so they give us, you know, what's happening with the mission, all the data, if the mission is currently going on. And our job as ambassadors to turn that around and, you know, get the get the public involved, get them excited, um, educate them. Uh, so it's really just a, a fantastic volunteer way of um, just my transferring my enthusiasm to the public. And my specialty is taking all that really complicated jargon since I don't have a STEM degree. Um, I'm just a passionate, you know, science slash sci-fi enthusiast. And my specialty is turning that around and, and making it very simple and breaking it down so the general population, including kids, that's my specialty, um, can understand what's going on so then they can get excited. So that's kind of what we do. That's a that's that does sound like exciting work. And you said it's it's entirely volunteer. Like yeah, we're all volunteers. That's yeah. a it's a it's a great program, and it's a, a yeah. huge benefit. Uh, for example, uh, for 2017 was uh, the it's the big solar eclipse, the total solar eclipse, and I led the the agency NASA's national outreach uh, efforts. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's one of the areas that working with the solar system ambassadors was was really great. And it was a great resource for both of us. Yeah, mm -hmm. we work in tandem. Wow. It's amazing. That's why I was so excited that Dr. Young is here. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad if, you're here. It's great. If someone's interested in becoming an ambassador, what do they have to do? Um, applications uh, open up the uh, usually the month of September each year. Um, it's a pretty lengthy, extensive process to get selected. Um, you have to fill out this very long um, uh, application and you have to come up with four public events that you would um, potentially hold. And you have to have a whole write-up, a proposal for each of those four events and you have to give references and whatnot. And so they, they're very thorough with checking your references and they wanna see what your take is going to be with your public outreach. So I was very nervous, it took me seven hours to do the application because I didn't realize that was all involved. So I came up with four events that I was gonna do. And, uh, but my specialty is, is social media. Um, I do do public like events and I go into schools a lot too, but my, my specialty is social media too. There you go. Yeah. Social media is very important because uh, Dr. Alex, you actually have uh, social media for your uh, suntoday.org. I, I saw that you have a Facebook page and a Twitter page, so you're keeping all your followers posted on everything. everything yeah, yeah I, po I post about, um, you know, I post about the sun daily. I uh, do, you know, I post a lot of things on Twitter. If hopefully Twitter will survive, we'll see. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to call it X, but, you know. I don't think uh, anybody's going to. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> for various I, reasons yeah exactly so i do facebook i do instagram some but it's a little bit challenging with the kind of media that i have to do i can't always do instagram because i don't always I and mean, sometimes i share things like youtube uh videos and things like that which don't right. work as well on instagram i have i've got a threads account but i haven't really jumped into threads yet so i i can't really speak to to that but i'm you know i intend to to start using that uh and you know, maybe that will be the replacement if uh, if Twitter falls. We'll see. <laughs> we on the, see. Sun, 
<laughs> on sunday.org you have the post on the um parker solar probe yes. and wow that can withstand temperatures up to 2500 degrees fahrenheit yeah That's i mean it's smokes. it's a technological marvel i mean that that whole mission was was first uh sort of proposed in 1958 around the same time that NASA was started and the beginning of the space age. Um, and it's taken until now to to have the resources and the technology to be able to travel that fast, to travel in those harsh environments. And also because it's going around the sun, it has to be completely automated because it takes too long to, to send signals, even though light is super fast. It still takes eight minutes to go to, to send a signal to the sun. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that spacecraft always has to be in the right orientation so that its heat shields protect it. And that means that it has to be fully autonomous. And so it's uh, it, it basically runs on its own. And if that's the only way that it would be successful, and it's it's already passed into the the region of the sun that we see during a total solar eclipse called the corona. So if you're in totality where the sun is completely blocked by the moon, it's sort of a, it's a short period of usually a couple minutes. Uh, you can see the, the very faint outer atmosphere called the corona. It's a, almost a million times dimmer than the sun, solar disk. And that region of the sun is incredibly important because it is the region where all of this crazy space weather, you know, solar flares, these big explosions and big blobs of solar material blast out at millions of miles an hour. All that stuff impacts us here at Earth and can cause all kinds of, uh, of you know, difficulties. Uh, it gives us the aurora. The Some of it gives us the aurora, which is great. However, it really messes with our technology. And as we become more and more technologically dependent, we become more and more susceptible to it. But during an eclipse, we can see that region. And that's what Parker Solar Probe is flying through and which it has already done that. Uh, it's still going to get closer um, over the next year. It, December 2024 is when it gets its closest approach. Um, but it's it's a technological marvel and it's already changed many of the things that we know about the sun and about all of that activity where the region where the action is happening. I'm glad wow. you brought that up because I was going to, it was one of my questions I was going to ask you to talk about. Cause it's, it's a, I love the mission. So um, it, it's an amazing, yeah, it's, it's an amazing mission. So it's traveling, it's now traveling faster than any uh, human made object ever. Uh, when it makes its closest approach in December of 2024, it will be cla- passing almost half a million miles an hour, yep. which is just phenomenally fast. Um, Jeez, wow! Is it is it also the um, the most um, heat resistant uh, man made object in history? I would think so. Uh, as far as I know, yes. Uh, it definitely it experiences temperatures that are higher than most the melting points of most materials there's uh certainly most metals there's only one small part of the spacecraft instrumentation which is outside of that heat shield Mm -hmm. Uh, and it has some special materials in order to withstand it but everything else sits behind this big heat shield that's about four inches or so thick 
It's made of a carbon, a fiber, a foam composite, and everything sits behind that shield and has a cozy 85 degrees. Yep. About to say that. Yeah. So yep. you could just you could just uh, you could just chill on the pro. <laughs> That's right. You could just a lounge a, chair, cocktail. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get your get your uh, your um, your pina colada and just hang out, and it would be nice. You know, like a nice sunny beach day. Mm-hmm. I love it. Since you're an expert in space weather, Doctor Young, um, where could we feasibly uh, as Except for Mars, because I, I figured Mars would be the number one place where um, manned spacecraft could land. Where else in our solar system is feasible for a manned spacecraft? Uh, that's a really good question. So certainly Mars, probably the best place is going to be the moons of several of our gas giants. Um, uh, yeah. So I think the 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 most interesting places in the solar system arguably are the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, they, yes. they can, well, right now we're, we're putting together something called Europa Clipper and actually it's being yeah. put together right down the road from Kelly, there you at, go, Kelly. Uh, at JPL at the yeah. jet propulsion laboratory. And that is going to go to Europa, which we believe Europa is, a, is actually a giant ocean covered with a, a very, very thick sheet of ice. Wow. Um, and this is uh, a prime location for the the constituents of life. And we already know that, that you know, certain types of worms can live, you know, in super cold water under ice, bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then the other place of interest, and we're sending something there called Dragonfly, is the the uh titan the moon of saturn and titan is has these huge oceans of liquid methane and it's um it's certainly a very hostile environment however those particular chemicals and constituents are some of the fundamental some of the foundational uh types of uh substances that you need to support life and create life. Uh, so those are the two main goals. Actually, because the atmosphere is so thick on Titan, uh, we're actually going to send a, a giant uh, helicopter, or I guess we should call it a drone, uh, that's going to be flying through the atmosphere, taking all kinds of cool measurements. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a helicopter in that it has a, like a rotor on top. Yeah, it's got yeah. propellers, and because the atmosphere is so thick, you can actually sustain it with a lot less power than you would need. Traveling that's the one downside to traveling to those moons. Jupiter and Saturn are far enough away that we don't get a lot of solar radiation, which means we can't really rely heavily on. Um, uh, solar panels and we use them some but especially if you're in the atmosphere of titan you're not going to be you're not going to get much sun at all and so they have to use uh radio thermal sources these are radioactive sources that create heat which you can then use to generate power um and that's that's really the only option that we have in a in a place like that and is that is that and I guess uh, that kind of power like um, 
I mean, I, this this goes deep deep into the engineering, but like how uh, <clears throat> what what kind of lifespan does a uh, does a craft that's powered by those radio uh, those ra- those what's it thermal thermal uh, radio radio thermal yeah radio thermal. Um, well, uh, I'm not, I, I, I don't know exactly. However, I can say that, uh, the Voyager spacecraft are still going now. They, they're well, not, they're not generating thing. as much power. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've actually had to do a lot of really amazing engineering to, to kind of cut back on the power usage. So you certainly couldn't fly, you know, a, you know, a helicopter with that kind of power, but they're still going. They're still sending back data. They have now left the the solar system, actually left what's called the heliosphere, which is sort of the realm of the influence of the sun. And they are now in interstellar space. Mm-hmm. So we have now sent spacecraft into interstellar space, um, <laughs> which, which, is, is, which is mind-blowing, you know. That um, is mind-blowing. When, but did the, last... when, did, when was Voyager launched? Like in the late 70s? 79. 79 yeah yeah september and august of 79 and actually they were launched in the the wrong order because of uh delays so voyager 2 was launched first and then voyager 1 was launched second yeah wow i also want to mention because i saw the goodnight oppie um documentary i don't know if you got to see it dr young it's it's amazing about the mars rover fraternity but we got kind of like a simulation on the water on mars now you mentioned the water on Europa. How does that compare to the water that frozen water that was seen on Mars, and and to what scale can you compare it to? Because if we're talking a lot more ice and water, would that be more susceptible for some kind of life form? Well, we're talking so on on Europa, we're talking oceans. You know, we're talking a giant ocean underneath, so a huge amount of water. Um, But Mars, there is very little water. There, uh, there's evidence of a lot more evidence of water. There are um, evidence of, you know, flowing water. There's certain types of geological formations that only occur in liquid water. But because Mars lost a substantial atmosphere, water and the temperatures there and the pressure, uh, having liquid water is very difficult to sustain. Uh, what happened was, it turns out, and this is actually connected to space weather, turns out that billions of years ago, Mars had has an iron, liquid iron core, much like the Earth's, which generates a magnetic field. That magnetic field provides kind of a force field that protects a planet's atmosphere from the solar wind. There's this constant flow of particles coming out from the sun, uh, which over time, if you don't have a magnetic field, they can strip away the atmosphere as well as these huge explosions uh, of material over time, over billions of years that blasted away. What happened is Mars is smaller, had a smaller core and its core stopped. It it, it basically uh, stopped spinning and it stopped creating a magnetic field. And so the force field around Mars went away. So we think maybe Mars had a really relatively hospitable, um, uh, atmosphere billions of years ago, and then over time, after the magnetic field went away, it's it's now to where we are now, na- what we have right now. What would you expect in the ocean of Europa? What can we expect? 
Uh, wow. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Kelly, maybe you, I mean, I'm not a huge, I don't have a huge knowledge of, uh, icy water planets or, uh, <laughs> or astrobiology. I don't know if Kelly, you know a little bit more about astrobiology and what kind of stuff they might. Um, well, one of the things that we're, that we're really going to be concerned about and trying to, um, differentiate is, you know, it would be great if we could find something, you know, like a worm, like a bacteria, but we would just be excited if we can find the actual building blocks. Right. That are floating around the ocean, the elements, right? We, we who knows? I mean, there's, it's already water, right? So you've got H2O. So, um, you know, you always hope for the, hope for the greatest return of the data, but mm -hmm. um, in terms of just seeing what's down there, um, that's really what we're going to be studying. And JPL is already developing um, this, uh, these worms called eels and what they're going to be autonomous yes, robots that, that look photo. like snakes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the, one of the uses will be sending it to Europa long in the future mm -hmm. and it will be autonomous and it will be able to, you know, navigate the ice and then drill down into the ocean and then start to explore it. And that's what they're designing it to do right now. Mm -hmm. Wow, an ocean in the core of the uh, the moon planet, Europa. Wow, that's well, wow. yeah, I mean, as as Kelly mentioned, one of the things we look for is amino acids. You know, these mm -hmm. are certain the the beginnings of proteins, um, which is what you need to then start having life. So, we're doing this in a lot of ways. We're looking for this in our solar system. We're actually also looking for this with exoplanets. So we now have the James Webb Space Telescope, which is able the light from a star. Uh, shines through the atmosphere of a planet, and that then gives you a fingerprint. That there's a light, the light that comes through has a fingerprint specific to the types of molecules and elements in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And James Webb has the ability to measure that fingerprint. And we have now seen the evidence of of water, liquid water, or maybe gaseous water on planets, carbon dioxide, uh, other things. And these are all things that are needed for life, or at least the life as we know it. Doesn't Correct. mean there isn't other life that lives, that's based on a different chemical structure, but the yes, life that we know, all the life that we know depends on these specific things. And that's what we're looking for. Oh, that is so fascinating. <laughs> Dr. Young, I know we have to wrap it up uh, with you, um, but uh, while well, we really uh, appreciate uh, the time uh, that you gave for us to, yeah. to be here on Below the Belt show. and uh, you've, you've certainly classed up our show a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate yes. that, and, I, and I'm excited to have Kelly on here and talk to a solar system ambassador and yes, uh, yes I and hope, i would love to work together in the future on many would, many things <laughs> yeah i would love to do that i hope maybe we could do this again and if yes. you guys yes. want to have me back on you know We'd love uh, to, that, love would, be to awesome. that would be fantastic full hour yeah. full hour yeah we yeah. can do yes. that we can make that work we can make awesome. that work. are you going to be watching star wars ahsoka are you a fan? oh you you bet your bottom dollar okay. i will let's talk let's <laughs> talk about episode one and two at the end of August. okay <laughs> yeah yeah, no, I, awesome. I was a big fan of the Clone War series, so I'm definitely yes. really looking forward to Ahsoka. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, we, we we're going to be talking about it at the end of the uh, the end of August when it drops on. We get two episodes on August 23rd. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, awesome. hey, it's been a pleasure. I really so appreciate you guys having me on, and I hope that you decide that you want to do it again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, yeah. Doctor Young.
All right. Thank you. you take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. That was Dr. C. Alex Young. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Yes. Did you camera. like it? That's <laughs> 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 so exciting. We I have know. one scientist for uh, an, an, another scientist, I guess, right? The, the, <laughs> the, the Chachi McFly uh, Back to the Future by Chachi McFly. <laughs> the, the king wild of the eyes. 80s. The wild yeah. eye scientist. Yes, the, that's right. The wild eye scientist. Chachi McFly, I'm glad you could join us here on BTB. This is our penultimate summer episode before BTB takes a much needed much needed hiatus um oh, recharge what? batteries you know you're gonna take like what two weeks off big deal we're gonna take three of them oh, three, three weeks, weeks. Oh, okay there you go <laughs> that big long break yeah we got to be back for a soko talk of course um uh, but i think those that's, those are uh, so needed nonetheless um aren't you supposed to be on strike or something yes yes it's supposed <laughs> to be on strike for film and television acting but uh, yeah, what, well what is this this is all yeah, like podcasting there. podcasting isn't in the uh, the it's not in the contract. Yeah, exactly. it should be. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I, I am taking a summer break, so yeah. call it if you will on strike or whatever. But can I uh, add a quick tid science tidbit before we switch gears? Yes, please. So, uh, Dr. Young was talking about the Europa Clipper spacecraft that is, yes, being built down the street um, at JPL here. That it's going to be launching next year, and NASA is inviting the public to sign up on the website for the spacecraft and you can have your name laser etched into the spacecraft and so your name can go all the way to Europa and you get a cute little certificate. The whole program is called Message in a Bottle and there was um, a, a poet laureate, um, I'm drawing a blank on her name right now, um, she actually wrote um, a specific poem that's going to be, that's describing the mission and how profound it's going to be too. So, and so you have you have until December 31st of this year to get your name on the spacecraft. How cool is that? I can get below yes. the spacecraft. Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. How dope would that be? Very dope. That? Cool. It's free. It's free. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, that is a plug. You know, I love all things free. <laughs> Zod and Chachi, you should know that. Yeah. Uh, we can finally, finally get General's name uh, flown to Uranus. <laughs> but um, boom. So Kelly, you're gonna hang out with us for movie talk here on BTV, which I'm excited. Yeah, hey, yeah, a little bit, and then I gotta jump. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Let's talk about some stuff going on in the world of entertainment. But by the way, what a real, like you said, Zod, a very keeping BTV a little more um broad, right? Uh, a little classy, if you will, with yeah. Dr. Alex Young. Yeah. So is the is it the the poet laureate the current poet laureate I I had to look it up but I was really curious is 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 it Ada Ada Limon Yes she's yes it's her poem thank you Yes Yes Very good Yeah Yeah so now General, yeah. what does General did to our show because I remember when I first started here you know we had like porn stars on here we had um, <laughs> playmates of the month on here and now General's getting like you know. What We're having like, astrophysicists and talking about poet laureates. Yes, I know. We yeah, all like a, sometimes, Josh. He is like classing up the show. Yeah, he's like a Trojan horse coming here, you know, talking all that um, <laughs> talk shit. And, you know, all along he wanted to make this show all highbrow. How, how dare Time you? is now. How dare you? I guess so. I really, really enjoyed uh, the segment, though, Zod. So thank you for uh, spearheading that one here on BTV. Oh, no worries. 
Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about some stuff going on in movies, man. Barbenheimer was all about the box office. So let's let's listen to our uh, Hollywood news theme. Here we go. It is time for the Hollywood report. That's hot. That's bananas. That's off the chain. All right. Yes. Barbenheimer. Wow. Can you believe so many people actually did a double feature of Barbie and Oppenheimer sitting on their butts for five hours with three hours of Oppenheimer, two hours of Barbie. But nonetheless, both films win big at the box office with Barbie raking in one hundred fifty five million and Oppenheimer. um, Wow. Remarkable. Remarkable, 80.5 million. So, yes, the number one and number two movies, respectively. Um, but, yeah, I really feel like that uh, double feature for the ages, you know, Barbenheimer, Boppenheimer, however you want to compromise <laughs> the two. I think of two more different movies that, that the, seems like the same audiences are supporting. I mean, they're very, very different films. Well, there are there are some. I mean, yes, they're very different films. There's a couple of themes you can see that kind of go through both of them because uh, a lot of it takes a lot of. Um, I mean, Oppenheimer is about like a big part of it is the you know the specter of the atomic bomb and about how like that ushers ushers us into this new kind of scary unknown era, while Barbie. Barbie, like a big part of Barbie is nostalgia looking back at um, kind of a almost similar period because it's they're both about, you know, because, you know, we we, we kind of equate a lot of the a lot of both Barbie and Oppenheimer, even though Oppenheimer takes place mostly in the 40s. I mean, the okay. the 20s through the 40s, like mm-hmm. most uh, most people, because a lot of it is. You know, the the atomic bomb is one of the biggest causes for why the Cold War existed. And we kind like your your average person equates the Cold War with the 1950s. And Barbie, which was introduced in the 1950s, has this kind of like throwback feel, especially, you know, um, especially since she's the quote unquote stereotypical Barbie. Like yes. back to that like Very 19, fitting. 1950s. So that they kind of like converge in a way and i know i'm totally stretching here but i'm trying to i'm trying to find something <laughs> no, to... i love the way what, he's, what he's trying to say is both movies are retro yeah what he's trying to say yeah yeah there but, <laughs> but you know if, if dc was smart dc should have did the um team up with oppenheimer with their flash movie <laughs> Because, like, <laughs> they, they both were bombs and i think that would have fit together really uh, nice. one was like a flash movie yeah one was a literal bomb, the other one was a yeah. figurative bomb. Right. And you had to yeah. decide which one was which. <laughs> That's interesting, but they only predicted seventy-five million for Barbie, so they basically wow, really? doubled. That's, they, yeah. that's actually that's actually surprising because they predicted seventy-five and it raked in hundred and fifty-five. So yeah, roughly double. But who's who's doing the predicting? Because if I'm the movie, uh, if I'm the production company, I would have predicted low. Anyways, that way, when it goes above that, everybody's like, oh, wow, it, it definitely beat predictions. But if you say, like, oh, Barbie's going to make $200 million, everybody's like, oh, Barbie fell short of predictions. So who yeah. is actually making the predictions for this? That's a good question. 
That's a good question. But yeah, I think you'd have to kind of like lowball a little bit, you know? Yeah, I would. It, it makes sense. Well, let's talk about both films individually. Um, um, but yeah, but but the rest of the top five, no no surprise. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. In third place, Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom in fourth place, and um, Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny in place. Okay, which we already talked about those movies, so we don't <laughs> we have to go into those. But let's talk about the two, the number one and number two film, um, starting with Barbie. Um, Barbie was a lot of fun. I finally get to see it last night. Um, you know, it, you know, it was it was fun. It was colorful. Uh, I loved how it tied in the Barbie world to the real world, and um, it was kind of like a they, they had their own version of multiverse. You know? <laughs> yeah, I saw it, it last night too. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, there's a there's a lot. There's a lot to like about Barbie, the the Barbie movie. There's a lot that I can understand why certain people might be a little angry at some of the message that they put out. But I didn't actually agree with that because I think they they kind of one of the things that I really liked about it is like even though uh, the characters like, you know, with with a lot of it, like you can see you can see like growth and journey for both Barbie and Ken. I was a little worried it was just going to be all about Barbie. And then Ken was just going to be this like joke character like the whole time. And he was a joke <laughs> character for a long a lot of it. But they actually yeah, showed some like real growth and uh, it showed like different sides. Like it showed a very nuanced idea like you know there's that line in there that kind of cuts to the heart like uh where it says what what was it every day is a wonderful day for barbie it's only a wonderful day for ken if barbie sees her <laughs> or something oh, like that. yeah and um, it's the ultimate validation right yeah 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 and that, <laughs> and, that, and that speaks a lot to uh i mean a line like that just speaks a lot to like a lot of things that people are feeling. And this is entirely, I know that Barbie, I mean, Barbie wasn't designed for men. It's not, and it's not supposed to be. And, um, but that was something as, as a man that I saw in it. And like, I was like, wow, there's, there's, there's a lot to like about that. And it was clever and it was funny. There's a, there's a hilarious scene where, um, that, that hit a little close to home for me where. Yeah, let's the, hear it. One of the Kens uh, w- was talking about the um, the band Pavement. He was talking ah. about like Stephen Malkmus yeah. and about how it ties into the uh, ties into the genius of Lou Reed. And th- that was supposed to be an example of the Kens mansplaining to a Barbie um, <laughs> something. But like I was like, oh man, I've done that. I've been I've totally been that Ken. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like um trying to trying to show off how much i know about indie rock or about movies or whatever trying to show right. off how cool i am and in turn mansplaining i guess but and that one i was like ooh, that kind of hits close to home but yeah it was a fun yeah, i don't know if you mansplain because you talk down to all of us so i don't know if it's <laughs> just women so <laughs> no but i'm surprised like, i actually agree with you on your um analysis of the movie i know like some people were upset about the movie saying it was like overly feminist or like you know degrading a men or whatever and i didn't really see it that way 
I mean, like you said, first of all, it's a Barbie movie, so it's going to be geared towards women. Um, so you have to go into the movie expecting that. Think, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, like I saw, like, you know, flawed, you know, flawed characters for both. You know, Barbie, like, was having, like, a breakdown, like, laying on the ground crying. And this is the thing that Disney can't get right, because when Disney has, like, a female character, she's just, like, you know especially in the recent years, she's like all powerful. Like she's like, you know, very, very solemnly flawed. Like even like, you know, like Daisy and Star Wars and like, um, so you don't really see much growth on them at all. And I thought you saw like growth on Barbie, you know, I, I thought you saw her coming back and, you know, realizing, you know, like what she was doing to Ken, you know, and what all the Barbies were doing to all the Kens, you know, and also and then what the Kens were doing to the Barbies mm-hmm. when they took over. Yeah, so it's like, Oh, go ahead. Um, I'll let yeah, you but, finish. Yeah, but, but you know, but I think the movie was way better than it had any right to be. You know, just I, mean, I laughed a lot during this movie. Um, and I thought God, it did, so, so, so many funny moments. Yeah, and I thought mm-hmm. it did really well. Like, um, because you know they stayed true to the character. I mean, it was a you know it was a very you know diverse um, cast. You know, but but you know the um, stereotypical Barbie looked like the stereotypical Barbie. You know, they didn't race swap her. They didn't like make um ken gay or something you know they kept it like really like you know to the basics of barbie you know and, well well, and both, think, well neither barbie nor ken are sexual in any way i mean they were both asexual i mean they well, yeah, even yeah. They already said they had no genitals too, yeah when they went to the world, right <laughs> well they said that like a what is it a flesh blob or something like a <laughs> yeah <laughs> but a big flesh a, bomb, a, funny, right? a funny reference for anybody who has um ever seen barbie's naked and ken's naked um <laughs> i had but both yeah. as a kid growing up so yeah you had both the barbie and ken so yeah. were you immediately and then actually, uh, yeah kelly that, that brings up an interesting question um so like when you were a little girl did you want a ken doll yeah oh you did you did yeah. did you ask like your parents specifically if i'm having a barbie i also want a ken um i probably didn't ask i was more into the barbie than ken for sure um but they just they kind of always, to me, like went together. I mean, it was sort of like a set almost. Okay. Um, I had two Barbies, only two, even though they had like, you know, a billion different kind because Barbie did everything. Um, but uh, I just wanted Ken there because that was Barbie's like partner, like just like other half almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh and it's funny that, um, you know, the theme of the movie is, you know, feminism and how Ken was just Ken for Barbie, right? He has no purpose. He's just right. there to make Ken. Yeah, his you know, job Barbie looks good. Beach. <laughs> beach, right. Beach, yeah, beach. And it's funny because as a, as, a, as a young girl growing up, I never took their relationship to be like that. I never thought of Ken just being there as an accessory for Barbie. Hmm. So okay. that's. I mean, that's probably just from my upbringing, maybe. I, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't think of that. I wasn't that deep of a thinker, maybe, as a kid. I don't know who is, but. <laughs> yeah. That's well, just, any of the guys, uh, the guys on this panel, did they ever, have you ever played with Barbies or had like a sister who made you play with them or whatever? My sister had Barbies, and I. I yeah, we both I have definitely, sisters. I definitely sat down and played uh, Barbies with her. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, I had the, I played as Ken and I remember, I don't like, you know, we played out certain like, uh, scenes and scenarios where Barbie would 
get in her car and drive to like the store and Ken would be there. And <laughs> I guess it was, I, I was I, really I, doing the multiverse before all y'all, because I had my He-Man action figures wrestle with the Barbies. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the only thing is there's like a big height <laughs> difference between Barbies and most of the, act. like I had GI Joes, but they were like tiny compared yeah. to Barbies. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's why the masters yeah. of the universe were a little more appropriate. They're a little bigger, but yes, the Barbie no, still but powered this is where over you both had failed because my um cousin you know she had everything in barbie she had a whole room in her house just um filled with barbie stuff and like you know the barbie um car like the dream house you know the, the barbie pink camper she had that mm-hmm. stuff. so she always would beg me to play with her but you know me being like a super cool guy never wanted to <laughs> oh play really yeah but i would i would compromise and i would use my wrestling figures and i'm talking about the um the big rubber wrestling figures. Ah, those. Were they, were they the same those, size as Barbie? They were close. It was a little shorter than Barbie, but it was pretty close. Okay. It was definitely bigger than the Masters of the Universe or whatever. And that way I could still feel cool. But like, I'm just playing with these wrestlers, you know. <laughs> so, like, you know, Big John Studd's going on a date with Barbie. And it's cool because, like, <laughs> you know, it's Big John Studd. It is. It is. Know? It is. It's funny you say that. He's a stud. He's a stud. It's just in right. the past, like, 10 or 15 years. Um they introduced these like superhero action figures that are the same size as Barbie. They're called like Titan figures or something like that. Okay. And um, I bought my son like the entire set of the Avengers and he had yes. like, he had, right. he had, he had the Avengers and my daughter has the Barbies. And so what my daughter used to do was have the Avengers babysit for Barbie <laughs> while, <laughs> while Barbie, like most of the Avengers would babysit for Barbie while um, Barbie would go on a date or whatever with Captain America or with Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that works out really well. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, the lack of genitals for both Ken and Barbie, the very... You know, it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but yes, um, you know, uh, the stereotypical Barbie played by my favorite Margaret Robbie wishes to be a real person, real woman. So the ending of the movie, uh, the <laughs> last line was very, was very meaningful, right? And she basically, we didn't know where she was going. She was getting dropped off. She was going to building. My thought was a job interview, but no, yeah. she was. Yeah, you thought it was a job interview as well. Yeah, I think I think it was. That was the everyone was supposed to think that that was the in there. Uh, You know, with the theme of the you know the female empowerment and and, you know having the great great occupations and careers. And then the receptionist, um, she talks to receptionist and says, "I'm here to see my gynecologist." (laughs) So, what a great closing line. Got her vagina. She finally got her vagina. Got to got to take care of that. You got to take care of it. Yes. And uh, now that she's human, she's got to get someone, you know, she's got to get somebody to take care of it, both, I guess, right. in the health sense. And maybe she, now she'll be enjoying her sexual sex capades yeah. now. If she so. needs any uh, volunteers, let me know. Oh, Chachi. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew. No, but for Margot Robbie, perfect casting for this movie. My God. Ryan Gosling as Ken, both perfect Yes. Casting. And for people who know, the original plan was having... Amy Schumer, Amy Schumer um, played yeah. Bar- Barbie in the, um, you know, in a different script for um, this movie. So luckily, yeah, that, never came about. I, w- I, I, I imagine <laughs> they, they probably would have had some stereotypical hot, not Margot Robbie, but some like hot blonde actress to play right. a stereotypical Barbie. You know, it would have been a much smaller role. 
Right, it would focus more on, on Amy Schumer's Barbie character. Yeah. yeah I'm glad yeah. they didn't go that route. But, you know, they had something for everybody, Chachi. It wasn't just about the stereotypical Ken and Barbie. I mean, Although, all I the mean isn't Ken parts, supposed to have Ken. dark hair? <laughs> like, uh, like, I'm surprised they went with Ryan Gosling having blonde hair. No, Ken yeah, was a blonde. I, yeah, Ken was a blonde? Hair. I thought he had, yeah. like... I mean, oh. he, eventually he had brown hair, too, but he had blonde hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because it was, like, blonde yeah. hair painted on him. It was, like, it wasn't, yeah, like... He, it wasn't like hair, hair. It was like painted. It on wasn't hair. like yeah, the hair the most dolls have. And you know, had Simu, yeah. Simu Liu was great as, as the secondary Ken, the Asian Ken, and then you had Nerd and Alan. There's no other Alans. He was like the goofy character. <laughs> yeah, he's funny. Sarah, and then all the other Barbies were great. You know, he's yeah, Ray was um, Barbie, and the the um, guy who plays in Secret Invasion is the Super Scroll. Who's yes, something Ben Gurion. Yep, yep, that be, yeah. Ben. Yes, yeah, he he was great as well. Yeah. So you know, there was something for everybody, you know. And yeah, uh, but I like how they had a bunch of Easter eggs. Like they had like um, they like the reference, they referenced the um, was it was it Skipper who had the um, the breast that you'd pump up, um, <laughs> and that was like a real doubt I, I read before they came out with. Yeah. And then um, the pregnant doll, Midge. Midge, the pregnant one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan, Alan was an actual doll too, wasn't he? I believe he was an actual, uh, yeah, I think that's an Easter egg too. But they had like a bunch of like clothing and stuff, exactly like what they came out with, you know, in the years gone by. And I love, you know, one of the best parts I think is how they um, uh, did a tribute to um, the creator of Barbie, um, Ruth. Yes. Um, you know, had a character Handler? her. Yeah, Ruth yeah. Handler and played by Rhea Perlman. Yeah. Uh, and uh, at the end of the movie. Mrs. Mrs. Danny DeVito. That's, that's right. That is Mrs. Danny DeVito. Yeah. Yes, and towards the end of the movie, yeah, she's she, great. That they kind of inspired stereotypical Barbie, Margot Robbie, to you know pursue uh, whatever dream she wanted to pursue, you know, and and that was to become a, a real person, you know. And uh, he actually took the name of Barbara Handler. Yeah. Yeah. For her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So I. Yeah, was, Will I was, by the um, CEO of Mattel. Will Ferrell was so funny. Oh man, he was <laughs> I'm great. surprised Mattel let them like, kind of like take some shots at them. Yeah, and Mattel's the one that you know made the movie. So they got to be able to laugh at themselves. Cool to you know? Yeah, yeah. It took them 14 years to get this made, so they yeah, were well, ready wow. to make fun of fun to a point um, at themselves at the empire that they had created. So, but they it just. Taking that long was this was was the right move to get the right, right. team in place to create mm-hmm. what just came out. And it yeah. is uh, it's it is still like kind of shocking that they got Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach to write the the script. Dude, I mean, what a great team! They're I know, and but that's, I mean, this like, movie you you would not expect cheesy. either of them to do a Barbie movie. Like if someone had told me, like when did they? Um, uh, whenever, like, if someone had told me five years ago that they would be the ones making a Barbie movie, I would have, uh, my jaw would have dropped. And I would be like, there's no way in hell they're going to do that. And, but it worked. It worked really well. Yep. In mm-hmm. fact, Greta Gerwig um, is um, the number, I think she has the highest uh, opening. Yes. Mar- marking the biggest debut ever for a film directed by a woman. Yeah, it beat it beat Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel. Which one of the two? Captain Marvel. It's actually Captain Marvel, which uh, had the previous record of 153 million, and this yeah, one okay. is 155 million. 
this is definitely better than Captain Marvel, so I'm glad it It was. Yeah. <laughs> and they're yep. also debating whether the film would be an adapted screenplay or an original screenplay only because of the IP Barbie exists through Mattel. And but it is really an original story if you think about it. So mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Is it though? Well, I mean, but they're trying to say that it it is copying off of like the Barbie story, like the the toy well, story. There was a lot of Toy yeah. Story. You, yeah, I mean, you didn't see the parallels between it and Toy Story. It did have the Toy Story parallel. You're right. Yeah, I would say that that would probably be, you know, but the most of all, it's because of the existing IP where one would argue that it would have to be an adapted scheme, screenplay. But then there's uh, like biopics about historical figures like um, Milk by Dustin Lance Black and uh, which is about Harvey Milk or Anthony McCartan's Darkest Hour about the British figure Winston Churchill, which or Oppenheimer, <laughs> yeah, or Oppenheimer, which are original screenplays, right? Um, even though they're based on historical figures. Oh, so, actually, Oppenheimer's based on a book. So was it, Oppenheimer's based was on a book. Titanic, yeah. an original screenplay. Yeah, that's an original screenplay. Is it okay? So mm-hmm. yeah, so that that would be an interesting to see which which way they go on that one, but. Uh, but, but I yeah, mean, if you're talking about, because I haven't seen it yet, but since you're talking about one of the themes is, you know, she wants to be, you know, a real woman, right? And as soon as you guys were talking about that, I thought, oh, that sounds very, you know, Little Mermaid. Yeah, that's true. It I mean, is, yeah. It's that, that it's sort of theme, right? She, you know, she's, I mean, since I haven't seen it, I don't know why she wants to go be a, a, a real woman, but she I have actually, theories. She doesn't want to be a real woman. A lot of it is because, like, the real world is affecting her life in Barbie land in ways mm-hmm. she isn't expecting. And she yeah, actually she wanted to go back to being, like, a normal Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. And of course, uh, unclear if there will be a sequel. But there were um, mermaids there, in this, though. They were mermaids in this movie. There were the Barbie mermaid by by the, the beautiful Dua Lipa and the merman Ken. And the beautiful by, merman. That's played by John Cena. Another great casting there. Um, but yeah, he's no post. Oh my God. Oh, John Cena. He's yeah. He's he's the man. He's 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 becoming just as good as The Rock. I mean, he's gonna yeah. be just everywhere. And but um, she, but she shouldn't have, um, you know, a, a fish tail covering her. No, those assets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I see what you're getting at, Chachi. Uh, but yes, um, no post credit scene, so no, you know, obviously lots of credits to to pay the respects for the crew and the cast, but um, so they weren't well, indicating anything about a sequel. However, it wouldn't surprise me if they do decide to go the sequel route, and you know, I mean, oh, they will. It's kind of it was kind of open-ended with, with uh, you know, Barbie in the real world going to see the kind of college, maybe her life heard, uh, as a former Barbie. Yeah, I heard Mattel was uh, planning on, on like making movies based on like all their properties. Exactly. And the big old like, Mattel verse. What what else is there? Like Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels yeah, is not. It's one they're gonna do. I heard. What what else does Mattel have besides Barbie and Hot Wheels? I know they must have other things. I just can't think of anything. But don't they don't they have like Uno? Like I thought they were making a movie based on Uno. Uno. Uno the card game. Yeah, and and you saw you saw Uno like briefly um in Barbie. Yeah. On a table, or whatever. But I heard I don't know how uh, they made a game based on Uno, but I remember hearing that like I, it was I remember reading about that. 
Actually, here on Below the Belt, so we mentioned a while ago. I haven't seen any updates on that. But let's move on to Oppenheimer. Um, first of all, phenomenal acting across the board. Um, you know, even Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man himself, sang Cillian Murphy's praises for his take on Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. And it was great, and it was great to see Cillian uh, Murphy uh, in the lead role because in previous um, Nolan movies, he's um, a supporter, a supporting actor. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, phenomenal. Um, job by Cillian Murphy and the entire cast, but Cillian specifically would, in order to stay in character, would forgo any social interactions with the cast after they wrap filming. So a lot of them like to hang out, go to the local restaurant and bar in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, of course, uh, Cillian Murphy uh, preferred to stay behind, work on his, you know, his his craft. Um, I guess he also had to learn 30,000 words of Dutch, um, which I didn't he had to, yeah. Um, but uh, that's basically what he had to go through. And of course, uh, Cillian's very lucky to have um, some steamy scenes with Florence Pugh. Patsy, did you uh, notice those scenes? And uh, that notice uh, them, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I happen to notice them, yeah. <laughs> Interesting to know, there's a 20 year age difference between Cillian Murphy and Florence Pugh, but. Uh, <laughs> Barnes Pugh is 27 and Cillian Murphy is 47. Oh, good for us. That's a perfect age gap. But Josh, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I mean, they had some criticisms. Of course, some people would be up in arms about that. But at the same time, she is an adult. At 27, she's not. Yeah, she's isn't she? She's yeah. dating or married. I think she's date. She's still just. She's not married to him, but. Isn't she with Zach Braff? Who's she was with up. Zach Braff. Yeah, they broke up a long time ago. Oh, and did that they? Was, yeah. Yeah, okay. that was a similar age gap, wasn't that, Kelly? Yeah, that was yeah. a similar mm-hmm. age gap. Yeah, and she, and they both got a lot of flack for that. They got a flack for that oh. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I heard, I heard Leonardo DiCaprio was kind of pissed off at the age gap. <laughs> no, he thought he wasn't big enough. Like. <laughs> well, I wonder what the age um, gap was between the two uh, you know, people in real life. Oh, they were the same age. Oh, the they were? Life. Oh, no. Real life? Ten, okay. no, I read 10 years. Zach. Was it 10 years? Oh, I thought, because oh, okay. I thought they, uh, okay, you could be but right. Not as, not, as, not as great as 20 years. Now, Florence Pugh, the, the center of a lot of controversy, not only with the age gap, but also in um, other countries. Now, apparently in the Middle East and India, where she was naked talking with Oppenheimer, they covered up, covered up her nude body. With a CGI black dress. Oh. Wow. So apparently in Middle East and India, it had a UA rating, meaning it's classified for viewers with parental guidance for children below 12 years old. And because of that, they had to, yeah. In fact, that's the only major CG in the movie. Uh, and it's not even in the American version. It's in the really? international version. Because Nolan, if he if he doesn't need to use CG, he he won't, you know, and he didn't really use much of it at all. I isn't mean, there I, like, isn't there like 1.4 billion people in India? Yes. Like those those motherfuckers have got to see people naked. <laughs> you know, all them people there, right? So why are they yeah. gonna be offended by seeing naked bodies? Well, because I guess because children below 12 years old are permitted into the movie, you know. But I think uh, okay. I think the Middle East are probably a lot more um, would be up in arms with just because a lot of those cultures, the women is completely covered head to toe. That's true. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So, so they're not going to allow they're not going to allow nudity on a, on a movie on a screen. No way. Because yeah. if women can't be like their face can't even be shown, like their skin can't even be shown in public, they're yeah. definitely not going to allow that in a film. Well, the the people the people the the culture is where they you know where they don't allow women to wear anything but burkas. They're not going to be watching movies. They're not going to be watching American movies. movies in well, the first that's part. true too. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> like, and this is hardly the first movie with nudity in it right. that has been shown in the Middle East or India. Right. So <laughs> they probably of- just cut out those spots. Maybe I don't know. Before they CGI. Have- yeah, I think I think it may be because it like you know they they introduced a CGI into it instead of like uh, doing more like selective editing, I guess. Crucial yeah. scene with the conversation between the two characters. Was I mean, great. they could have they could have easily had done something like still had the conversation and just not shown Florence Pugh's character and just have the you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, have the um, you know, the the audio of the conversation while it's yeah. the room or whatever. Wait, so she yeah. was still she was still riding him, but with a black dress on. Well, no, this is when they were talking together in the hotel room or wherever they okay. were having. Yeah, because yeah. there's a, there's a scene where he's imagining himself having sex with her, sex with her. Yes. during the uh, during the. Um, That's right. During the um, what security clearance hearing, <laughs> That's what, yeah. she was riding him hard. Yeah. Right. Yes. That was, was that scene cut out or was that? Was That's a good a question. I wonder how thing? they worked around. I wonder how they worked around that one. That that must have oh. been a complete deletion, I imagine. There's also another controversial line from Hindu holy scripture. Oh yeah, um, the heard okay. about that one as well. So well, this is the, like, uh, Bhagavad Gita. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sex scene featured a line from the Hindu holy scripture. And apparently, um, you know, that was controversial as, uh, as well. And literally, uh, Bhagavad Gita is literally the word of God. Yeah. From the uh, Mahabharata, consists of the dialogue on the battlefield between Prince Arjuna and the divine Krishna. Mm-hmm. And then who was saying that, that line? Is like, that is like one of the most famous quotes, though, attributed to um, to Robert Oppenheimer. And I know he took that from the Bhagavad Gita, but it's right. like, yeah. it's it's a line that is so associated with him. And it's been that way for decades. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's not yeah. like they're going to get rid of that either. But when, yeah. was that, when was that line said in the movie? OK, so it's a sex scene when Cillian Murphy... Yeah. Um, and Florence Pugh, and Pugh stops in the middle of fucking, goes up to the bookshelf, picks out a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, and asks Murphy to read from it. And Murphy reads the line, I am, I am become death, destroyer of worlds, which is the quote, um, what he thought of when the first nu- a nuclear bomb was detonated. And then they proceed with that's based on That's based on God. In the in the scripture, it's a it's a story about the. Um, let's see if I got this correct. I'm, I might have to look it up again. I don't remember the exact details for it in the Bhagavad Gita, but I think it's it takes place during a battle. But you can understand while yes. you're looking up. You can understand the the um the, the um, India is all up in arms. About yeah, but I was, I was a fan of before that before that scene. She's yelling out, "Oh God, Oh God!" when she was riding him. And I was offended, you know. You were for for my God, yes. Oh, for your God. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it says here the uh, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on because Vishnu becomes this like super impressive multi-armed god and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds to get the prince to go and um, let's see what else here. Um it's it, it's it's basically to be a badass <laughs> in this <Yeah>. story. <laughs> well, here's the thing about destroying worlds when you're having sex. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, it, that line <laughs> obviously makes a lot of sense because when you're when you're like um, when you think about the magnitude of what's created and it is something that could literally I mean, there were even there was even a little bit of a worry about it causing a chain reaction that would destroy the world just by testing it. <laughs> you know, you can understand why that line would be used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, no, but that was line. yeah, but that whole line was was um, actually rewritten from the original line in the movie. Which I thought was uh, more offensive. Well, what was that? When he, he was saying, "Your pussy is the bomb." <laughs> oh I mean, that was, wow! That was the original line. That they, <laughs> I, they I, cut out. I knew you were going in that direction. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, you, Kelly. You know. that's, that's, I signed up for well, this. That's fine. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I was the original line. I don't know. <laughs> so overall, no, I thought the film was me. great. It was three hours of. Of several intertwined stories, uh, you know, your typical Nolan back and forth with between the, the plot lines. But um, I, 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 I thought it was a solid, solid film. And I really, really enjoyed oh, it. Oh, I thought it was more than a solid film. You thought it was more than solid? Yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. I mean, you see, like, Robert Downey Jr.'s um, performance in it was Dude. fantastic. Oh, that's yeah. that's yeah. what's keeping it as one of the top films is the performances overall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I and a role like I've seen. Mm-hmm. And, and even, the- like, someone like Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt's character wasn't featured as much, but you could see, like, she had this, like, really kind of understated, you know, her performance was amazing too and it's like how, even if it was like really understated i mean th- there was just like you know so many great actors in it and in fact like you know we were even talking about it as we went out of the theater about how like there were so many like big actors that just had essentially background yes. roles oh like, yeah yeah jack quaid from the boys yeah yeah maybe he had and, a, a large a lot larger you know a bigger scene that got cut or whatever but he was only relegated to a background yeah, he played he had, uh, Richard Feynman, who, I mean, I guess yeah. his whole deal was they showed him playing the bongo drums, which was something that, that Richard Feynman did. <laughs> and, that's a background, feature background role. I mean, we had Rami Malek. Yeah, Rami Malek. Yeah. I was like, really? Because he had one line or two lines, two or three lines, maybe. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised. I'm like, wait, that's Freddie Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. with only like several lines. And then let's right. not forget from the Orville, Scott Grimes also had... Uh, he was one of the council, right? Yeah, he was a. He, it was cool to see him in a very different role. Yeah, so it was, it was great overall. Um, yeah, but, but personally, like I, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I just, I thought it was great acting, but I thought the movie was too long and and really slow. Yes. And that's where, my, especially that's where the beginning. Ex- yeah, exactly. The beginning. I think it would have been cut down to like a two-hour movie. I think it would have been. For me, great. I, I was just kind of like dozing off in the beginning, um, first hour, 
Yep, and, the first. And I don't know act. what it is about all these yep. um, movies nowadays are just so damn long. Like every movie, I mean, Barbie wasn't, but like, you know, even like Indiana Jones, the last one was like two and a half hours. When, when mm-hmm. all the yeah. previous ones were like, yep. Like I mean, Barbie was Barbie was even Barbie was two hours. Like just about hours. yeah, just yeah, twenty yeah, years ago, hours, yeah. that same movie would have been an hour and a half. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, right. And I think personally, I think a lot of these movies in the theater, I think if they would do better if they were. A little shorter, and then they could have the extended release on on streaming. But um, you know, and plus in the movie, I I thought it was going to show more of the bomb, like more of the war and the bomb being dropped on Japan. Mm-hmm. Which I guess they didn't want to show that aspect of it. You know, maybe it would have been, you know, it would have been too triggering for some people or something. I don't know. But you know, I was hoping to see like you know just more of the war and like the. Enola Gay and the bombing drop and everything. That was that was an interesting choice. I would I agree with you there. I was totally expecting a scene where they show yeah. the the bomb actually being dropped on Hiroshima, and um, yes, we were uh, talking about that Zod. Yeah, mm-hmm. we, we would love to have seen that. I'm yeah, that. But yeah, and for uh, people who don't know, the Enola Gay is actually um, in Northern Virginia. Um, it's actually mm-hmm. at the there in space uh, museum museum the smithsonian but not the one downtown that you see the one there's a second one in dallas i didn't yeah in dallas but i didn't know about until just a couple months ago when i went that and place they have it in there awesome that place is, it, is, it is awesome right yeah that place it's is super awesome. cool the um yeah the that space shuttle discovery in there um it's got like and F-14 and F-15, all these, like, Soviet-era, like, uh, Cold yeah. War, Soviet yeah, planes. Kelly, have you been to that museum on your, I'm sure you have, there's a family on the East Coast, you stopped by the uh, Smithsonian? No, the I've Space never Museum. been yet. No, I haven't. Well, reach out next time you hit the East Coast and make a trip to D.C. We'll meet up. Okay. Nice. Yes. Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> from the Berg. From the Berg. Yeah. Um, all right, just about how um how like you guys were a little disappointed that they didn't show it being dropped um, well you know and, and not, i'm not i wouldn't say I, I was disappointed i just uh, i just thought it was uh, it it's a curious choice not to include it <laughs> right and a lot of people said that when the armstrong movie came out too they were expecting that movie to be more about the landing on the moon uh-huh. whereas the movie was more about his life and the things you know that most people didn't know he went through you know, to in his career. So, you know, a lot of people said that that hurt the film because they were expecting, you know, to see the landing and, you know, less, yeah. he didn't, you know, we wanted to see him plant the American flag on the moon. And so it's like, that's not what the movie was about. <laughs> but no, yeah. I totally get it. It's because dropping the bomb was such a integral part of the story of it being created. I could see why you kind mm-hmm. of, yeah. sort of want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And plus, and plus, by showing that, you really could have, like, you know, it would have made a lot more sense of why he was so, like, upset. After it got dropped, you know, and dealing exactly. with all that struggle, you know, for himself. We want to we want to see that visual of what he what he sees. Yeah. And, and, but I don't know. I think maybe they didn't want to to like show that negative aspect of it and make it too real. And then you know, you know, maybe and they probably there. didn't put the part in about um you know the, the area where they did the test. You know, of how those how they were saying those lands were like desolate, like nobody really lived there. Right. Yeah. Which is actually a true. So I'm assuming they didn't put that in the film either. Okay, just checking. Yeah. So I want to drop a few more things, uh, and then we have to take a class cut break. And sadly, Kelly Christopher is uh, going to say goodbye. But um, the next big movie is um, 
Uh, well, it's based on your popular uh, Disney theme park ride, Haunted Mansion, drops on July 28th. I'm not feeling great about this film. No. Uh, 55% on Rotten Tomatoes for critics. My kids so really far. want to see it. They're both like excited to see it, but yeah, of course it'll be something worth watching for sure, Zod, uh, with the family. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Eddie Murphy already did the film. Let's see. It wasn't that long ago, right? Wasn't the last? It wasn't that long years? ago. Yeah. Yeah. And oh my the God, first... there was another Haunted Mansion movie. That's that right. I Eddie Murphy. Forgot about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they had the, the the premiere of Haunted Mansion, the first premiere without its main stars. I think Oppenheimer yeah. was the last one, but the stars had to like leave oh, okay. way through or something. Oh like yeah, because it was, yeah, they, it did, was they, left. They, mm-hmm. they literally announced the the strike while yeah. it was going on. <laughs> Isn't so, that... Okay, yeah, yeah. The Haunted Mansion was 2003, so 20 years old. Yep, yep. But yes, the first major film premiere since the strike to have no actors, just the director and the producers at the red carpet. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, but um. Yeah. I wonder yeah, what that. I, I wonder, like, you know, that that brings up a because the director is going to be there. What do they? What what do people who are members of the Screen Actors Guild, but also are directors, what do they do in those situations? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I know Seth Rogen did not show up at San Diego Comic Con to support yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he's the director, and he's also SAG. So I imagine that those that are our actors and directors will not have to be there. Okay. Yeah, and then those that are strictly directors, like your James Cameron, those type, they can show up, you know. And the DGA um, came to an agreement with their new contract with. That's right. Um, so their contract is very re- renewed to what, and they got yeah. what they wanted. So, 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 so is there, I wonder, is there going to be some like resentment then because VGA did sign a contract while the other, uh, the other two unions are striking? No, I think, no, cause there's a lot of, I mean, there's so much crossover where directors are, you know, writers and, you know, actors as well too. So, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of directors, even though they got their contract signed, I, there are a lot, a lot of them are in solidarity too, because yeah. You know, they're stuck in the water as well. If there's no one to write something for them to direct and no one to act in it, they have they have almost no choice but to be in solidarity with us, whether they show up or not. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's everybody's individual choice, I guess, if they're going to support us. Exactly. That's kind of weird that you know these that they don't um, you know show up for the premieres, um, the actors and um, other people. You know, after because you know they filmed all they filmed everything. Um, you know, that, that doesn't. Before, even, yeah, that's a good argument that the the it's already in the can. It's wrapped. Right, the yeah. writers are the actors new stuff or whatever. But like, if they already worked on it and already made it, you know, got paid for it and stuff, and then the movie's coming out. Like, I don't see why they should protest. Well, their own movie the main the main reason, yeah, the main reason is because. Even the films that are being promoted, it's they, they classified as a struck film. So it's still, you know, whether it's released um, now in theaters, it'll eventually go to those streaming platforms. And those, and when it gets to the streaming platforms, that's where the issues arise of the um, oh, resi- okay. improper residuals. Yeah. So it it actually certainly does affect current um, current works as well. So that's that's the main argument for that one. Um, yeah, so anything current and in the future is considered struck work. Right, okay. and they make 
you know, they, yes, they they would love to be there to, pr to pr promote the, the project that they were in. Um, however, they are by not being there, they're protesting the very people who don't want to pay them. That's right. Right, right, right. Yep. So that would reason. be that would be sort of the reason why, you know, even though the product is already done and they would love to be there, you know, because it just it benefits them as well. But, you know, right now they're trying to, you know, make a statement. And that is that's a very big way to make a statement is to not to show up to support something that you were in. Yeah, we, we certainly hope uh, everything gets resolved soon, because right now the only thing that is shooting that is SAG are commercials and ultra low budget films. And some films that are, I believe there's a Hallmark Hallmark movie that's allowed, like they have to go through this process to fly. And get a waiver. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a bunch of indie films with big celebrities that they got a waiver. Um, okay, yep. Uh, I think there's a Glenn Close film. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but they got a waiver. And the day yep. the, the day the strike was um, was announced, you know, that was when you had to get your application in to get the waiver. Um, and they said the SAG got about at least 100 applications for the waivers. Um, oh, wow. So they're trying to go through all of them. And they said, we promise we'll get to every single one. We're not going to leave one, you know, fall by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and there are there are production companies. There are studios that want what the actors and the writers want. Mm -hmm. And so I think A24 is one of them, one of the production companies. And so yeah. they're 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 all on board with the strike and they're they want they already abide by what we are asking for. So they're allowed to continue shooting. That's right. You're a member of SAG after uh, as well, Kelly. Yes. 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 That's very important because A24. Yes, that's everything everywhere all at once. So many great films associated with with them, and uh, yeah. So hopefully, uh, again, we get to a resolution with both the writers and the actors, and get new contracts, and we can resume productions. But uh, in the meantime, um, there There's are going to be a lot of reality shows coming up. There, there's going to be reality shows coming up, but luckily, there's a lot of stuff in the can, of course. Yeah. Flash is already in the can, and I believe you can already see this one on Max. Interesting um, thing: there's a featurette that revealed a, an amazing story, story, um, story portion or um, detail rather, uh, and that's why Michael Keaton's Batman retired, and they couldn't uh, include it in the two and yeah, that was a, it was already past the runtime they wanted, but apparently. I thought it would have been great if they included this. Basically, the reason why Michael Keaton's Batman retired is that he killed a criminal in front of their own child, mirroring the childhood tragedy that sent him on the path of being the vigilante wow. in the first place. So um, he yeah. said the uh, Andy Machete director said it would have been an exact mirroring situation of what happened to him when his parents were killed. So there's a parallel to that in the comics of uh, there's a character called Prometheus who is kind of like a kind of like an evil version of Batman and um his parents were criminals that were killed not by Batman but by another vigilante and that's how he becomes like he decides to train and become like Batman so that's that's, cool. there's something like that in there and then two more things before we uh, the break. Um, so there was a, a an interview with um, director Lawrence Sher, the cinematographer for the Joker, and he talked about how Lady Gaga got in character of the Joker Folly Adieu, Joker Two movie, and basically she said that he didn't know Stephanie. That's uh, Lady Gaga's real name, Stephanie Germanata. 
strangely, I never met her, even during makeup and hair touch. Maybe it was in my philosophy of not trying to get in their space. And then I, I remember for a week being like, God, I feel like we're, we're disconnecting, not even connecting. We are on opposites. Um, but apparently she just really got really so into the character, very similar to what Cillian Murphy did, you know? So I really hope that's going to be, um, just as good as, uh, you know, because the first one was an Oscar winning film, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that gets released in October of 2024. And then we have Borderlands. Apparently they just announced that's going to drop on August 9th, 2024. That's based on, um, video game borderlands um and that stars kate blanchett kevin hart jack black as a robot ariana greenblatt who we just saw in barbie edgar ramirez gina gershon and jamie lee curtis so uh so those movies are in the can but they're waiting in the can they're waiting a full year to release them they're waiting yeah waiting a full year that's typically having it could be having co-production stuff yeah they could Exactly. Yep. But one film that's coming out sooner, Exorcist Believer, dropping in theaters October 13, 2023. Holy smokes. It's the, one of the creepiest trailers I've seen uh, that's out right now. And uh, they're already planning for an Exorcist um, follow up already uh, to be released two <laughs> years later. So. Yeah, there was a there was a two week period when I was a little kid, and I must have been in like fourth grade or something. Mm-hmm. And I'd um, I'd go to a friend's house a lot, and I'd spend the night at his house. And I remember one night we saw Poltergeist, and then oh, yeah. two weeks two weeks <laughs> later we saw The Exorcist. <laughs> that oh my god, did that mess me up for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah i'm right with you like it was poltergeist for me too and i was over at my um cousin's house you know the one that was in the play barbies or whatever but uh-huh. we had a babysitter watching us and you know our parents went out somewhere and it must have been on like hbo or something that like, they had poltergeist on so the babysitter let us watch it oh my god like, like, yeah yeah my that, friend I, yeah gosh, my friend had hbo in there. Too. Yeah. And it's 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 funny because like it's also at his house that it, that like you know since we didn't have cable, it's at his house that I discovered Skinamax too. <laughs> <laughs> All the bad behavior starts yeah. starts with our family members, that's for sure. Well, well let's go ahead and take a classic cut break and um, our first uh, pre-recorded interview from Shortleafcon where we met Dr. Alex Young, right, Zod? Um, you interviewed. Two amazing actors, and we're going to hear um, from one of them uh, at the midpoint and one at the end of the program. In this particular one, Zod had you weak in the knees that you stumbled mid, mid-interview, yeah, but yeah, you won't yeah. be able to pick it up on the edit. But Elena, she really, she got you a little nervous, huh? Yeah, she did. She was, uh, she was, uh, it was kind of uncharacteristic for me, at least I hope so. <laughs> and um she, she was just radiantly beautiful it kind of she was she was quite attractive i will say that <laughs> got you a little little flustered there yeah but um yeah that interview is going to be right after the classic cut so uh we're going to have chachi uh introduce the classic cut for us so here we go where are my dogs at it is time for king chachi's classic cuts holla at your boy 
Yes, right. It's Chachi and Charge once again for Chachi's Classic Cuts, where I go into our archive of cassette tapes, take a pencil, roll it up a little bit, you know, make sure the actual tape's not falling out of the cassette, and oh, get it ready for your listening pleasure. <laughs> and this week is no different. And, you know, I'm surprised we didn't play this one, at least not in recent years. This not in the past by, seven years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is by a group called Aqua. You know, and just saying that name, I'm sure everybody knows what it is. It's the song Barbie Girl. It came out in April 1997. Yes. Uh, this, yeah. And this, wow. Isn't that crazy? And this yeah. this one actually you know, caused a lot of controversy because of... Um, and after it came out, Mattel actually sued Aqua, saying that they were, you know, stealing their intellectual property and they were kind of like sexualizing um, Barbie and, you know, and kind of going against what they wanted to do with the Barbie character. And, you know, Mattel lost and Mattel kept on um, appealing and went all the way up to the Supreme Court. But then um, Aqua actually won the case, you know, saying that it was... Um, you know, they said it was a parody, so that they were allowed to do it. And um, Aqua actually sued, um, you know, Bar- uh, Mattel for slander, but then that was dropped too. So um, yeah, so this, you know, it was um, it was um, kind of used in the Barbie movie. They were going to use it at first, and they did kind of like a remix of the song with um, who was who was in the new one? It was um, Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj, yeah, yeah. It was Nicki Minaj and some other. Um, artist that kind of did a remix of the song with aqua but you know this is the original from 1997 and you know crazy to think that it's been that long we you know didn't have a barbie movie until just now all right aqua barbie girl followed by our interview with elena huffman and we thank kelly christopher for joining us here on btv yeah thank Thank you you. you're welcome i was hanging out with you guys all right. Have you back? All right. You back here on BTB. This is Mike the General Zod with Below the Belt Show and click on this. And we are here at the amazing um, Shore Leave in Hunt Valley, Maryland with uh, the wonderful, lovely, and talented Elena Huffman. Hi. <laughs> so this is uh, this this has probably been a long weekend for you, I can imagine. Yeah, 
Yeah, but it's like, uh, I mean, I do a lot of these conventions, so I always feel like there's a good energy, especially like a smaller show like this that's fan-run. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 43, you know, this is the 43rd uh, year of this. Um, so it's, you know, it's got a consistency to it, which is nice. And, uh, yeah, I'll probably retire when I leave. I'm good <laughs> for right now, though. But it's a good kind of tired, right? Totally, totally, yeah. Okay, that is... Uh, so, you know, for, for those of you, and I'm of course, every one of our listeners and viewers knows exactly who you are because, you know, we had lots of uh, Stargate Universe fans and Smallville fans and, uh, you know, shows like that. But which, uh, you know, which, uh, which role do you think you, is, you feel is like closest to your heart or that, you know, is more, most personal to you? Um, I always say, like, I learned so much from TJ on Stargate Universe. She's a really special character to me. But all, every character I've played, I feel like there's an element of me in them, and then there's an element of them that I sort of adapt to. Um, my most recent character I just played on Riverdale, Twilight Twist. Mm -hmm. She was a lot of fun. Um, whatever I'm doing, I always have fun playing it. So it's uh, sort of, I'm more, like, present so whatever whatever mm -hmm. I'm doing is my favorite thing. Okay, okay. Do you get the chance to improvise at all while you're uh, in these roles? Um, it depends on the show. I mean, a lot of shows are word perfect. The okay. Hundred, for example, was word perfect. Uh, Stargate, we had a little more leniency. Um, I'm I don't I feel like that's not my talent, so I just kind of stick to the script. Um, I'm always impressed when actors are improvisational, and I can play off of them. But generally in television worlds, uh, you know, improv's kind of forbidden. <laughs> Writers are kings there. Gotcha, gotcha. Which uh, I guess ties into how we're currently in a writer strike. So I'm imagining that's uh, that's affected your life a fair amount. Like, can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the writers absolutely deserve to get what they're asking for. I don't think it's a stretch. I think there's um, they're very far apart from the producers. The actors are currently in negotiations. We resume tomorrow, and um, I'm. I'm hopeful we get a good deal. Now the producers won't start talking to the writers again until they're finished negotiating with the actors. And I feel like now is the time. There's been a, a big stretch of time where the streamers have made a lot of money and mm -hmm. there's been a lot of leniency. We've figured out how to work through a global pandemic. Um, you know, I don't think the points we're asking for are unreasonable. So it's, you know, we, we might suffer a little bit, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. I've been a, been a been a union person for a, pretty much my whole life. So, yes, I totally agree. So uh, moving on to, uh, with the various fan bases that you cater to, which uh, which would you say has been the most, like, passionate or the most... Uh, like any like really funny stories about people like surprising you with how passionate they are I was you know I, I've done a lot of genre television I've walked into some really big shows and big franchises um, I starting on on Smallville you know with that whole Smallville in and of itself has its big following but then of course the Superman right. um, background I was completely unaware of that but it really didn't hit home until I joined Universe and walking into the Stargate, uh, Stargate franchise was 
was a slippery slope. We weren't very welcomed with Universe, um, and there's a very passionate fan base. Uh, it's understandable. It was a it was a you know departure from the traditional sort of Stargate storytelling, but um, it was it was it was interesting to adapt to. There was protesters at the stages, and we weren't really like welcomed. But I think we made our way. I'm really proud of the show, and uh, I don't regret any of it. Um, and then when I started on Supernatural. That blew my mind wide open. Like, I had no idea how cultish, not cultish, but like how uh, passionate a fandom can be. And like, it's so global, and yet it's niche as well, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it's just so interesting. We've done so much philanthropy. There's been so many amazing uh, opportunities to meet fans all over the world and for them to connect with each other, which is my favorite part about this genre world, is that everyone connects together over their shared passions. Did you think that you were going to become like a genre performer like when you started your career? No, I had no idea. I didn't even know this world existed. Um, I'm so incredibly grateful for it. It's been really good to me. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm in it. But no, it just kind of happened to me. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't try to avoid it. I didn't lean into it. It just happened. And uh, I just keep working in genre television. I don't know why. <laughs> which, uh, which roles would you like to revisit, if you could, to go back? Ooh. Well, you know, um, Amazon has acquired MGM, so they've got their whole catalog. I would, I think, just in general, Stargate deserves more stories. Mm -hmm. It's such a great concept. Uh, it's a beautiful franchise. If, if I'm a part of it, great. If not, I, I think it should be told. Um, I'm really grateful to be a part of the DC universe, and there's mm -hmm. so many great stories there. Uh, at one point, they were going to do a spin-off, um, a Birds of Prey spin-off, and I would have loved to have been a part of a Black Canary. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what, are they, what do they call it? The group of canaries. Uh, I'm blanking on it now, but like, I wanted to be like the Den Mom. <laughs> of that one, the, the OG Black Canary. Right. Um, I don't know, but but I'm also sort of like there's something new coming towards me. If I look back at my career, my body of work, something amazing always comes up. I don't know what it is. I don't know when. I don't know how. But inevitably, I'll you know I'll mm -hmm. work again and something great. I always okay. do. And speaking of Black Canary, who do you think would win in a fight between you and Katie Cassidy? Uh, that's funny. You know, it's really funny. I get a lot of like, I really liked your Black Canary. You know, to me, there's no competition. Of course. Um, I, like, but superheroes often have to fight each other before they team up to yeah. fight the bad guy. I don't know. Like, I actually didn't really follow Arrow, so I'm not quite sure if we all had the same powers or, um, I, you know, physicality-wise, I think <laughs> we'd be a good fight. Uh, she's, you know, she works out. I do, I do too. <laughs> but more than anything, I feel like so grateful to have sort of like passed the baton in a way mm -hmm. and that like to me the Black Canary is such a rad character. Oh yeah. She's got so many great stories and so the fact that she's being told in pop culture I'm just thrilled about. Oh cool. And uh, if James Gunn called and said they needed a Black Canary, would you pick up? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> of I course. like Look, hey, if you need a 40 plus action hero, sign me up. Whatever. <laughs> right? Yes. I just had I just had a breakfast the other day with my friend Ming-Na. 
-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, who yeah, knew? Oh, yeah, she does. Oh, my yeah, I was like, God, who yeah. knew you'd be playing an action hero, like, in your 50s? She's like, I know. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, it yeah. happens. Especially, her start was in comedy, which you wouldn't expect. Totally. Yeah. I know, and she's slaying it, so. Do you ever think about, like, working, like, um, broadening your work into, like, other kinds of other kinds of work? Like, do, like, do you ever do theater or comedy or anything like that? So it's interesting when you start your career, it's sort of like you 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 get a little stuck and it's it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's just you sort like I do try to go out for comedies and a lot of times there's the gatekeepers like casting directors or producers that are like, "Yeah, we don't really see it." I've never done it. So they don't see it so they don't really give you the shot because they've got 18 other actors that are viable for that role that have a background in comedy. But I have the advantage in genre, you know, I've done a lot of genre stuff that, that people don't really get a shot at either. So, um, theater, I never really started. I love theater, same thing. It's, it's hard to get into. It's, yeah, you know, it's not, I hear that. It's not easier or, you know, it's just different. Um, and then uh, I just did a movie. I really love like art house movies. I would mm -hmm. love to do more of those. Um, so I just did a really fun little. It's actually going to be a comedy. Um, it's called Waltzing with Brando. Okay. Uh, so it's a 1970s um, period piece about Marlon Brando. Nice, nice. Uh, when does that come out? Uh, we finished filming. We shot in Tahiti, and we finished filming the middle of June. So probably this time next year. Awesome. That's awesome. My guess. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything you want to plug before we uh, before we run out of time here? Um. Um, watch, uh, you know, the rest of Riverdale. I'm, I'm in the last season of that, and that's mm -hmm. finished. I have a movie I'm producing right now, so I'm working on that. I, I'm, you know, we're held up by the strike, of course, so I don't want to violate any strike orders. And then um, I'm really focusing on a career in directing, so that's been my main focus for the last several years. It's been the mm -hmm. hardest thing I've ever done. Of course. And uh, when I get to it, it'll it'll be great. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, again, this is Elena Huffman. If you, if you could possibly, could you uh, could you give a little promo for our show? Just yeah, to yeah. introduce yourself, give a little bon mod, or you know, and then uh, say you're listening to Below the Belt show. Sure. Hey, y'all. It's Elena Huffman, and you are listening to the Below the Belt show. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the time, and this was fantastic. All right, that was, wow, Elena Huffman, uh, conducted by General Zah. What a great interview. And, of course, yeah. Barbie um, by Aqua, Barbie World. Barbie Girl. Barbie Girl. Barbie Girl. Uh, Thank you. Barbie, yeah. Barbie Girl. It was funny because that song is like a parody of Barbie, but then I thought the new movie was, was kind of like a parody of Barbie. So it was like, you know, they got sued by Mattel back in the day when and then Mattel ended up turning around 20 years later and, um, you know, made their own kind of parody movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's funny. It's funny because they did use that song in the trailers. Yeah, well, and in the end credits. In the credits, yeah. Hmm? Did you see it in the end credits, Sod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they <laughs> in the trailers they used the actual original Barbie Girl song. They didn't use the remix. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. But uh, if you say so, yeah, well. Man with a common presence does know. <laughs> he does know, yeah. I remember weird things, and I remember how hot I thought the lead singer of Aqua was back then. Oh, yeah. She's a cutie. She is absolutely oh, yeah. cute. I re actually rewatched the music video. They, yeah. And they never had like a lot of, I think they had like one other uh, semi hit, but nothing ever reached the level of Barbie Girl. Did they? Yeah. yeah. Pretty much a one hit wonder. I'm trying to think what the other song was. Yeah. 
pull it up, but um, let's move on. Um, so two big festivals are approaching, which with the actor's strike and the writer's strike, will will be making an appearance. Will your favorite celebrities be making an appearance? First of all, the Toronto Film Festival, um, of course, that's going to be highlighted by uh, the world premiere for a film called Dumb Money <laughs> by uh, Craig Gillespie, and it's a GameStop short squeeze, which, star- which oh, stars yeah. Paul. Yeah, you heard about this? Yes. I saw the <laughs> Yeah, stars Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Shailene Woodley, and Seth Rogen. So um, that that right there is a heck of a cast. Um, another film that's going to be highlighted by the Toronto Film Festival is Nyad, a biopic about a marathon swimmer, Diane Nyad, stars Jodie Foster. Wow, we haven't seen her in a while. And Annette Benning. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, also the Sundance hit Fair Play that went to Netflix. Oh, about but, Johnny? About Johnny Fairplay, yes. Yeah, nice. Good for him. <laughs> um, and, of course, Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins, a soccer comedy that stars Will Arnett and Michael Fassbender. Taika Waititi's um, in a lot of movies now. <laughs> Taika Waititi's yeah. uh, premieres for Michael Keaton's Knox Goes Away. Di- directorial effort from Michael Keaton this tonight, which he also stars in. Alongside Marsha Marsha Gay Harden and James Marsden. I'm excited for Beetlejuice too. Beetlejuice too, which by the way had two props stolen. See, that's the thing. Yeah, I saw that. When you're when you're on strike and your production's on hold, I guess all the props stay are where they were. And apparently, two important prop items were sold, and they I guess they tried to chant Beetlejuice, 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 but you know three times to see if it will reappear, but. <laughs> no avail, but that did not happen. And of course, Anna Kendrick's directorial debut, Woman of the Hour, um, a true crime drama where she stars as a bachelorette on the hit 1970s matchmaking show, The Dating Game. Man, that that's a, that's a bachelorette, Anna Kendrick, if there ever was one. Talk about oh, yeah. I mean, she's got an amazing charm and personality, and she's super duper cute. Zod, you got a thing for Anna Kendrick, right? I know I did. I definitely would not. Um, I wouldn't reject her. I'll say that. That's right. Good, good yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> you met her, though. You were on the set with her. Oh, yes. Pitch, Pitch Perfect, Perfect 3. Yeah. Got to go to a book, uh, a book appearance and signing for her scrappy little me biography that she did a while back. So she's fun. She's a lot of fun. Um. So yeah, lots of lots of big films for uh, you know um, the Toronto Film Festival, and of course there's also the Venice Film Festival. So the Venice Film Festival has a lot of big films too. Um, one of them is Zendaya's Challengers, which originally was supposed to be part of the slate, but apparently because of promotional complications from SAG, they had to pull out. Um, no pun intended from that one, because apparently there's a crazy threesome with Zendaya and two of the other male actors in that film. Um, so uh, <laughs> might be worth checking out. That's for sure. Um, David Fincher's The Killer is supposed to be a part of the Venice Film Festival, uh, which stars Michael Fassbender as a cold blooded assassin. Also, uh, Bradley Cooper's drama about Leonard Bernstein called Maestro. 
It's another big one that's supposed to be a part of the Venice Film Festival. Um, and um, Michael Franco's New York set film Memory, starring Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. Um, also a part of that Venice Film Festival as well. So there's a lot of films. I mean, those are just some of the films um, that both festivals are wondering what's going to happen. You know, will the stars come out? You know, will they not? You know, but the way it's going right now, stars are not allowed to appear on the red carpets of their films. No. Um, so we will see what happens there for sure. But let's talk about um, the New York Comic Con. So. That's a big thing, Zod. I know uh, that you're big into the Comic-Cons, like myself and Chachi are. Mm -hmm. San Diego Comic-Con was void of many celebrities because of the strike. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny to see. Like, there was such little news coming out of it because, like, there wasn't an MCU. There wasn't an MCU presence at all. There wasn't a DCU presence. That's right. Other than Max Animation. But, yes, no DC presence. Netflix wasn't even there, one of yeah. the giants. So well, what was there? Well, we saw 20 minutes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So the people in Hollywood got to see pretty much the first 20 minutes of the hmm. film. And of I gotta course, say, my, my I like the I like the animation style <laughs> of the new. Of you the, like the animation style. Chachi, yeah. I know you differ. You don't like the animation style of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, do you? No, I liked it. I liked it on, um, on Spider-Man. Um, Spider-Verse. Yeah. Spider-verse, yeah. I know. But yeah, it, it, it is kind of copying from Spider-Verse a little bit, but it, it really? it's it's still a cool look. It's like, um, I thought it looked cool. It has that kind of like, I won't say sloppy, but it's it's not nearly as refined. So it has this like kind of expressionist look to it. And I, I thought it looked cool in the trailers. Yeah, that's not like the whole like, you know, like the Ninja Turtles have like braces and glasses and stuff and like. Yeah, they they race swapped April, April O'Neil and made her fat, and like it's just so many changes to it. Okay, well, that's fair. Yeah. I know you're not happy about that, Chachi, but I, the race swapping aside, I mean, the whole thing about April O'Neil is that she was the hot girl that the turtles would would you know, kind of you know go gaga for, you know, and and if <laughs> right. they're, they're they're falling for this kind of frumpy girl, regardless of her race, doesn't matter. I mean, they could have made her black, Asian, Hispanic, but still a sexy girl. With like you know the yellow jumpsuit you know, and still would have been fantastic. But they didn't go in that round. It never really yeah. made sense why she wore a, a yellow jumpsuit. She was like a journalist. It's not like she was. It's not <laughs> yeah, like she. They don't wear they don't wear yellow jumpsuits, but it yeah. it was a signature part of it. I mean, Megan Fox looked at that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that was but like, I mean, like. But they have they have the turtles still like pining over her like in the um trailer. Like, come on, really. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, they, the turtles might be fat and, you know, with fat shells and green, but they're still going to go after a hotter girl than that. Oh, I mean, you think of it this way. They're turtles. They, you know, they're not human. So yeah, they could have <laughs> maybe, a different, maybe they, they have, have a different track. standard for beauty. They don't. They don't. They don't I mean, they're, they're I know what it is. Boys, they, they still have the no, same, I got the know. answer. They like <laughs> they like women shaped like them. There you go. Hey, there you go. I think that's the answer, right, Chach? Uh, there's, no, there's no answer to it. Okay. So another big movie that I know you're thrilled about, Chach, is the Marvels. So they, of course, there was no <laughs> cast, uh, but they did debut um, the trailer to coincide with San Diego Comic-Con. I don't, I don't believe they had a panel, but they yeah. did coincide the release. 
um, for the Marvels uh, during that week. And um, I know you saw it, Zod. What did you think of the trailer? The I actually have not seen a new Marvels trailer. Oh, okay. Well, they use they use BC Boys Intergalactic Planetary. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, is, is it that one? That one's been well, around the, for a while. The, well, no, there's a brand new one that has a little lot more um a lot more of the their um of, of all three of the Marvels kicking ass and taking okay. names. Okay. Free Larson, Tina, Tiona Paris, and Aman Vellani. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reprising the respective roles as as um, Captain Marvel, um, Captain Monica Rambeau, and Kamala Khan. Yeah, yeah. Iman Vellani is going to be writing a Ms. Marvel comic. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that was a big. That was one of the Marvel comics announcements. Is she's writing? Because uh, in Marvel comics right now, they just recently did this. Um, Which I mean, it's. About. It, it's it's pretty much like a stunt move, but Ms. Marvel is currently dead in dead. Yeah. comics, and she died in a Spider-Man comic, and Spider-Man is not responsible for her death, but still feels a lot of, like, guilt about it, because it's like she, like, kind of sacrificed herself to save Mary Jane, and uh, the the big implication is they're about to make a big change to her character. So it ties in with the MCU and she's going to be brought back, but she's going to be a mutant. That makes no sense. No, she was a, she was originally one of the I mean, this is uh, this gets a little complicated, but she's uh, um like on Earth, like around, like she was introduced around the time where Marvel was trying to stay away from the X-Men. And so they kind of made um, mutants as a whole kind of like a um, less of an emphasis in the comics. So they introduced uh, Inhumans who were like like the Inhumans, like um, but there there were there like uh, there was a certain segment of humanity that actually had inhuman DNA. And they all got their powers at the, the same time. And Ms. Marvel was one of them. So she was supposed to be an inhuman. And that's what she's been for a while. But no one gives a shit about the inhumans anymore at all in comics. Or it's, it's not the same thing of what a, a mutant is. An inhuman, yeah. you get something in the DNA and you have it since birth. You have these abilities since birth. Well, same see, thing. That's, that's where it gets a little weird because the Inhumans yeah. are supposed to be a totally other race, and right. they don't actually. They get their powers from something called the Terrigen Mist, and so, but like only Inhumans can, um, you know, can get powers. The Terrigen Mist would actually like uh, not either not affect someone or kill someone otherwise, and um, so. Yeah, but like I was saying, like no one really cares about the Inhumans at all in comics no. at all. See, this is why we have Scott on the show for all That's exactly why. And we're talking about near um not New York Comic Con, but San Diego Comic Con for reasons. Yeah, but but you know, Captain Marvel is um dead in the comic books. I might I might have to start reading in the comic books. No, uh, she's a, she's the leader of the Avengers right now in the comics. So uh, oh, she is the opposite. You just uh, don't like Brie Larson. You would have liked. You would have loved Captain Marvel. Brie Larson looks character. amazing these days in the Captain. In that trailer, in the yeah, trailer, yeah, I was telling Chachi to check it out. She's, we got this oh, crop on. Yeah, oh, she looked good. Yeah. Doesn't take away from like, personality. Like, yeah, but I always feel like she makes weird uh, facial expressions in um in her movies. You know, with um as Captain Marvel. 
Yeah, she 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 did like it's a little like uh, I I agree with you somewhat. Like it's a little off putting sometimes. She seems like kind of bored. In, yeah. In most yeah. of it, so it's like you know that's that's off putting to see. Yeah. And, <laughs> and um. It doesn't have too much charisma. Yeah, I, I can see that. But um. In the movie, I I, mean, I don't know if she does in other movies. I'm not, I haven't seen her in other movies, but. You've seen, like her, a, you've seen her in other movies. Like, you saw 21 Jump Street, right? Or, oh, yeah. Uh, Fast X. She was in Fast X. She was in Room. Room. Room is a fantastic movie. It's a really film. good movie. She, did she win or was nominated for the Oscar? I think she was nominated for that. Nominated. One. Fantastic, yeah. But uh, what else at San Diego Comic-Con? The Star Trek universe made its present felt, Zod, uh, with Paramount Plus having a panel. Mm-hmm. We saw a new trailer for the final season, the fifth and final season of Star Trek Discovery, a trailer and premiere date for Star Trek Lower Decks, and a trailer for the upcoming musical episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Someone will, someone will have to explain to me the difference between those shows. <laughs> right? <laughs> Incidentally, our season finale, our summer season finale, will feature our three interviews from shore leave of Star Trek actors Robert Picardo. Yeah. And of course, I interview Star Trek prodigies Bonnie Gordon and uh, the other actor that's now turned director from Star Trek uh, Discovery as well. Zod, what is his name? Um, Excuse me. Oh, crap. It's also Robert. It's another it's Robert. Robert something. Yeah. <laughs> He's another. Uh, now, that was a really good interview. So that's going to be. On the season finale of Below the Belt Show, we present the Star Trek uh, interviews to close out a great season of BT. Robert Duncan McNeil, that's his name. Thank you, Robert Duncan. Robert, Robert Downey who? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said there's no DC presence at uh, SDCC, but they did drop a trailer for Harley Quinn. I guess the Max Animation's kind of in its own sub, you know subcategory i guess within warner brothers but nonetheless one of the best animated shows out today and chachi yeah. you gotta try is harley quinn on max it, it's fantastic it, for adults there's f-bombs there's nudity I there's mean, lesbian lots of lesbian sex a, a lesbian sex uh, chachi uh-huh. i think it's got all the elements for you to tune in <laughs> it sounds like it yeah, it sounds like it's all the positive elements yeah, and if you and it's, see, and it's funny, it's funny as hell too. Like it's, yeah, a, it's really absolutely. You, you will actually, like it. You will like it if you see it. We even see Harley Quinn. Now this is voiced by Kaylee Cuoco, um, wearing her own signature bat suit. So it was kind of like black with like a pink bat. You know, it was really cool looking. Um, so you got to see that in the trailer. So that was really cool. And speaking of animation, Zod, I know you're excited. I recall you did watch Invincible, yes? I think yeah, you said you did. I did. I loved it. How phenomenal is the Invincible? In fact, there is a, already a new episode on Amazon Prime, which I'm probably going to watch after the show tonight, uh, all about Adam Eve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're gonna, and they also dropped the season two trailer of Invincible, which looked phenomenal. I didn't realize that the season had started. I'm going to watch that, too, probably today or tomorrow <laughs> yeah it's, it was so good it was yeah. so good but now just 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 this just this one episode has dropped the Adam okay because they're doing like a weekly they're doing a weekly drop of episodes yes that's gonna actually start on november 3rd oh okay okay 
Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but you can see the Adam Eve uh, episode, I believe now, I think that one's available. So of course, Amazon's all about Invincible and also all about the boys. Yes. We saw a trailer for Gen. Is it Gen V or Gen five? Gen five. Gen five. Yes. The upcoming spinoff of the super. Actually, no, I think it is. I think it is Gen V because it's supposed to be for Voight. For, for, uh, for Vought. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it's supposed yes. to be for Vought because it's supposed to be like Gen X yes. uh, Gen or Gen Z or whatever. But yeah, it's. So we're going to get three episodes of Gen V on September 29th and then weekly after that all the way through November 3rd. And this is, yeah, again, this is a college aged um, Vought, you know, with all Vought super beings, I guess, in this university called Go- Godolkin University. And um, the trailer looked fantastic. It had all the signature violence you'd expect from the boys. Hopefully the signature nudity that goes along with it. Um, and it's all college girls, Chachi. So I think you might be happy about that. Uh, You're all about that 20-year age gap. So yeah. it, sounds, it sounds positive. It does. <laughs> uh, it stars uh, Shelley Kahn, Maddie Phillips, London Thor, Derek Liu, Asa German. Har- Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, Patrick Schwarzenegger. Oh, is, yeah. Uh, Sean Patrick Thomas and Marco Pagosi. And guest stars with Jesse T. Usher, you know, um, who's A-Train, of course, Claudia Dormit, uh, Colby Minifee, PJ Byrne, reprising their their roles, um, their, you know, from the boys, of course. Also guest stars Clancy Brown and Jason Ritter, the son of John Ritter of Three's Company fame. It was good to see him. Yeah, him making it. died. Um, John Ritter must have died young. John, yes, he was on a hit yeah. uh, sitcom. Yeah, he was young, yeah, yeah. Which, but which, died when his son was uh, real young. Wasn't it Kaylee yeah. Cuoco in that in that series? Yeah, I think Kaylee. Yeah, Cuoco. He died. Um, he died the same day Johnny Cash died too. Because I remember, I remember and, hearing about that in the news, and I was like, oh my god, Johnny Cash died, and then. Yeah. Out like an hour later, that John Ritter died too. Yeah, a similar thing happened with Farrah Fawcett and Michael Jackson. Both died on the right. same day. Yep. It's like, it like, oh no, it's Farrah Fawcett, and then Michael Jackson died, and everybody forgot about Farrah Fawcett, unfortunately. That talk about double whammy. Of course, the biggest one yeah. for me was uh, Carrie Fisher and her mother uh, passing oh, away yeah. within a couple days of each other. Mm-hmm. That was the Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, that was just really depressing. All right, over on AMC, um, Chachi, the Andrew Lincoln, Denai Guerrero, Rick and Michonne um, series is going to be entitled The Ones Who Live. I don't know what you think about that, but um, I guess it, it could have been just Rick and Michonne, but they, they went with The Ones Who Live, and uh, they got a little, the fans got a little uh, first look. Um, there was like a teaser trailer. It didn't really show too much of the show. That's not going to be dropping till. 2024 but that um show is expected to be a limited series only however daryl dixon uh spinoff and dead city with jeffrey d morgan and lauren cohen that's megan and maggie have both been renewed for season two so that's positive news people are tuning in chachi uh to these spinoffs and i got oh, wait, it has it started oh yeah Oh well, no, they 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 greenlit the season two, but they just wrapped. Um, last week, last Sunday was the uh, the season finale of Dead City. Which one was that? 
Dead City is the one with Negan and Maggie. And that t- that takes place. Does that take place entirely in New York? New York City, but they shot a lot of it in New Jersey because it was harder to get yeah. permits to close the streets in right. New York as opposed to New Jersey. So, so to watch that, how much, uh, like, how up to date do you need to be with The Walking Dead? Like, uh, you know, that, that's a good question. I would definitely, you definitely have to get the backstory, Maggie, uh, Maggie, Maggie and Negan. Um, so you should definitely watch up until what season does Negan bash Glenn's head in? Season six. Okay, well, yeah, that's, uh, but like, does it, does it, does it explain in there, or do you have to? Because I haven't seen the last season of The Walking Dead. Does it explain to there why they're together and they don't like hate yeah, each other? Yeah, you know that that was that that actually starts the the beginning of, of that particular season. They explain why, and it's because Herschel has been uh, kidnapped. Okay. Son. And then because Negan has a back like a, a history with um the main antagonist, the Croat, who was a former savior. They mm-hmm. do a story on. The Croat, and they actually bring um, Stephen Ogg back, who played Simon. Oh, right okay. Hand. They bring they bring him back in a flash. Uh, flash. Yeah, I was like, isn't he uh, dead? I thought he was. Is he the, the guy with the mustache? Yep, yeah. the handlebar mustache. Okay. You know, Grand Theft Auto. He's famous for. They bring him back for for a flashback, and and how Negan and the Croat knew each other. But they're setting up. There's a lot of tension without spoiling too much. You know, Maggie and Negan uh, do work together. Initial. Uh, episodes but in the episode six they they pretty much try to kill each other which is pretty crazy and then um which is really weird despite rescuing herschel herschel is still not happy it's almost like he would have rather been kept kidnapped which is crazy Uh, and uh and pretty much reminds maggie of you know you need to get you know you need to end what you have with negan once and for all so you can interpret that whether you know whichever you want to and it kind of made Maggie look like the villain and Negan look like the hero in this uh, final episode, if you watch it, because, you know, um, fuck it. first of all, Maggie stabs Negan, but doesn't kill him, thank God. Um, they get in this big, big fight, and uh, and it's crazy because Maggie turns Negan into the Croat in exchange for Herschel. And pretty much just throws Negan under the bus, you know, and just turns him in despite Negan helping Maggie in this quest to find Herschel. So it's like, wow, Maggie, you know, let's help you find your son. Now you're going <laughs> to sell me out. You know, it's pretty yep. crazy. See how she is. See how she is. Yep. It's that's funny that's... Is, I've heard nothing about this show. Even being on. I had no idea it was even on yet. Like I um, was it on AMC. AMC. Yep. I don't watch anything else on AMC now, so like I, I haven't seen any advertisements, I haven't seen any articles about it, I haven't seen anything about it. So the marketing has been a little slow, but you knew it was a part of Tribeca because we talked about it. Yeah, but but I know when it was starting. I thought it was starting in the fall. Yeah, no, it's yeah. We just mm-hmm. uh, it was literally a week before, right after the Tribeca premiere. Was it any good? I loved it, but one thing that you, you did, would you did love it. I did. I liked it. I and you know what? I thought. It, I think it's better. It was way better than Fear the Walking Dead. It's way better than well, World. That's nothing. That, well, that's uh, not saying much. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's the best spinoff so far. If that. If that okay. Uh, if that. Uh, you know. Better than okay. Tales of the Walking Dead. That uh, anthology there. show. And then Lisa Emery, the uh, the villain from Ozark, the one that married um, uh, Ruth's brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, she's an, an antagonist in this one too. She kind of leads uh, a group together. We see her in the last two episodes, and and Negan, um, I guess, being aligned with her to lead a group that she leads. So it's building up a lot for me. God, she is the perfect villain, man. That that woman is just so evil, <laughs> just the way in her presence and her delivery. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know how evil she is, man, when you watch Ozark, you know. To yeah. See Lisa Marie in that yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, The Walking Dead, their presence was made known at, at, this, at the San Diego Comic-Con. I mean, we're going to get um, two seasons of Daryl Dixon, and they just uh, dropped the um, another trailer for uh, Daryl Dixon. And Chachi, uh, did you get a chance to see it? No. Yeah, so Daryl Dixon gets washed ashore to Paris, France. And that's <laughs> going to take place in in france and i guess they're going to explain how we got there and apparently in europe they have the fast moving zombies so uh we didn't see we didn't see any in the trailer but it makes sense you know you have the european variant of the zombie virus you know it gets stuck over in europe (laughs) and you know what daryl could bring it back to the u.s when he comes back so that's my prediction because we haven't seen the fast moving zombies in the u.s on walking dead or fear the walking dead so we're going to see Daryl probably bring that virus and just completely fuck up everything for everyone else. <laughs> um, which, you know, is this my prediction? I mean, you know, I could be right. It could be wrong, but, uh, That's true. uh, AMC also released a trailer for interview with the vampire season two with, um, gray worm stars, gray worm from game of Thrones, Jacob Anderson. Oh yeah. Has, has anyone tuned in for interview with the vampire on AMC? Um, Apparently it's uh, gotten good reviews, but I guess not many people watched it. So is it is it just like is it taken from the book totally? So it's just yeah. like that, it's just like the Brad Pitt movie that came out years ago. It's, like it's a, basically a series version of, of the Anne Rice novel. Right? Yeah. So um. I remember. I remember there was a time in high school where a lot of people I knew were really into reading Anne Rice. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. And um, oh yeah, he was, she was the it author back then, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Damned. Queen of the yep. Damned. That was that what it, what it was called? I, I, yeah, Queen of the Damned with Aaliyah. Oh, yeah, man. on too soon. She was beautiful, man. She would have been a mega star today had she not passed away. Mm-hmm. And Adult Swim, they dropped um, some news on Rick and Morty. So. Uh, a fan, this is a, a great fan, actually asked a worthy question during the panel for Rick and Morty. Are they going for voice elects or different voices? And they revealed the answer. Producer applied uh, it sound alikes. The characters are the same characters, no change. And the answer was met with thunderous applause from the audience. When can we expect the seventh season to debut? And the producer said, Pretty dang soon. Did Justin Roiland do both of the voices? Did both Rick yes. and Morty? Okay. Both Rick and Morty. So whether it's the same vo- uh, voice actor that does the voice selects for both, or they'll have a one voice actor for Rick and another one for Morty, but they're going for soundalikes. So, um, okay. you know, there's a lot of great voice actors out there that can do soundalikes. I mean, Cleveland Brown... The new actor, that uh, voice actor Cleveland Brown, is is very identical to <laughs> Mike Henry. And you know, of course, they had to go choose an African American voice actor. He's very, very, very black. I heard. 
dude, did you hear it? Did you do? Did you um? Do you hear a difference? I feel like they. they I wonder sound why the they didn't do the same thing with the Simpsons because the guy that they got to replace Harry Shearer for Doctor Hibbert doesn't sound a thing like him. Oh, he doesn't. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just so like you know it's so off. It's off putting, right? It's off putting yeah. when it doesn't. That's why I'm glad they're going with the sound alike. They're not going to do something stupid where the Rick and Morty sound like completely different people, and they're going to have to explain. Yeah. Just just go for sound alike. That's the way to go. And as you know, Justin Roiland, even though the charges were dropped, these charges were dismissed back in March. He's still feeling the repercussions, you know. Um, yeah. He, I mean, basically, he's saying there were horrible lies reported about him during the process, and he's determined to move forward to focus on his creative projects and restoring his good name. You know, um, and of course, uh, he's he also had to be replaced in uh, Dan Stevens' Solar Opposites um, animated series, which is uh, created by Dan. Dan Stevens actually will be voicing his um, lead role in in that. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, if the charges were dropped, if he's truly not guilty, then he really lost out, you know. Oh yeah, certainly so. Um, but you know, if he if if Justin Rowland is truly not guilty, I hope he does find um, voice work or work in because you know he was free, if he was truly wrongly accused because the charges were dropped. Maybe there just wasn't enough evidence, and who yeah, knows? I thought something they had like um, DMs or whatever him. Messaging somebody underage or whatever. DMs, yeah. I don't know. DMs are not. They. Don't, it's not a good look for sure. But you know, I don't know. I guess that's all they can go by or the messages. But um, we also okay. saw the Continental, the prequel to John Wick. Um, Peacock announced the premiere date um, on Friday, September twenty second. Uh, that with um, who is it? Uh, Christopher Walken. Okay, so <laughs> oh, it's... that's a that's a deep cut there, Josh. That is, that is. <laughs> the Continental was such a funny, funny like group of skits on Saturday Night Live, but that oh, is yeah. a deep cut. I always love whenever Christopher Walken would host Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Yes. Well, this is explores the origins behind the John Wick universe's um, hotel through the eyes of a young. Winston Scott, Colin Woodell, as he's dragged into Hellscape of 1970 New York. And it stars Mike uh, Michelle Prada, Ben Robson. Um, not really familiar with a lot of these actors. Um, Hooper, Point du Jour, Young Tate, Jessica Elaine. Again, yeah, not really familiar. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and then, of course, uh, yeah, just summing up Comic-Con really quick. Um First time in a long time without major stars or block blockbuster panels like Marvel and DC. Um, even though, yes, there was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, AMC's Walking Dead, and Star Trek. Apparently, even William Shatner had to withdraw from the Hall H panel for his documentary, and he decided to be in solidarity with Stryker and Brethren. Um, now, there are two celebrities that did show up at San Diego Comic Con to promote comic books. Did you know Jamie Lee Curtis wrote a graphic novel as well as uh, Patton Oswalt? Zod, did you know that? I could admit, I know Patton Oswalt did because I that's not his first one because I, I remember reading something he wrote like yeah. a while ago. I didn't know about Jamie Lee Curtis though. 
Yeah, so Jamie Lee Curtis is, uh, if I can pull that up really quick, is about, um, let's see, I think I have it right here. Um, yeah, do I have it? I thought I had it. Okay, maybe I don't. But yeah, she has uh, a graphic novel that she's promoting. And man, Jamie Lee Curtis pretty much done everything, if you think about it. My God. Now she's writing graphic novels? Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, I have it here. All right, so Jamie Lee Curtis um, explained she was having a moment um, as she um, talked about a lot of the things that she liked during her panel. The panel Q&A was all about, you know, questions about, you know, some of her past work. You know, and things like that. You can't talk about stuff that's, you know, that's part of the strike process. You can't talk about new projects or promote the new projects. But she did talk about her series. Um, uh, where is it? I just had it here, and now I'm not. Okay. Well, let's just Google it really quick. But, um, you know, that that's pretty much how a celebrity can make their presence known at the uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Just to actually write a comic book. Did you know that Amelia Clark actually wrote a comic book called Mom? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I read the first issue of it. and I, I never read yeah. issues of it. I, but... picked up, I picked up the three uh, books. Uh, it's only three parts, and I wanted to eventually get her to sign it. I thought it would be something cool to bring to her if I ever were to meet her. I'm not a big signature guy, as you know. I'm more of a photo op kind of guy. But, uh, um, but I would make an exception for the Mother of Dragons, you know. Um, I thought that would be pretty cool. But okay, so Jamie Lee um, Curtis's um, graphic novel is called Mother Nature. There you go. What it's about, I can imagine it's all in the title, guys. <laughs> um, basically, you're, um, the, the graphic novel is exploring the origin of Mother Nature. Um, and Mother Nature, of course, created everything on this earth, right? So... Uh, I think it's kind of cool, you know. I mean, it might go against some religious uh, fanatics out there, you know. Oh my God, it's Mother Nature. What's going on? <laughs> I don't think anyone. I don't. I don't think any comics like reach that form of cult. I mean, unless they're made into movies. Un- until they're made into movies, I don't think any yeah. comic book reaches that level of um, of um, attention anymore. <laughs> so it's. Yeah. Uh, um and um yeah i mean you know it was all about just promoting what what comic-con is is promoting the comic books and the creators and so was she she able to actually promote it Uh, yeah i guess guess there's no sag rules about there's no sag rules about writing or or books so yes that's that's why she was there and that's why the questions that she would talk about during the q a had to be about things from the past you know Mm -hmm. And, and actually, uh, there there really should be like some kind of comic book creators union, and I don't think there's ever been one made. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? 150,000 attendees still showed up at San Diego Comic Con. Mm-hmm. There were no mass hotel cancellations or refund or you know mass refunds for badges, which were purchased months in advance before they canceled all these panels. You know. And, you know, even though the actors weren't there, they still had panels. They just had to have, like, producers and directors in attendance, you know. And obviously, that's not that people want to see the actors, obviously, right? You know, that's what's bringing people there, you know. Um, yeah, but you think all those creepy guys are, are going to skip out on it? 
all the creepy guys. I want to go, come there to see like the half naked women. That's a good point. And that's cosplay. a good. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's one of the one of the highlights there. Yeah. Oh, actually, David Dasmalchian, who played Polka Dot Man, he actually created a comic book too. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. So this is, there's an interesting. Uh, and he was in he was in Oppenheimer too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they they also mentioned in the Q and A panel, noting past or present work could not be talked about. Um, and apparently they had to. They, the very first question from a fan was about work in the Dark Knight, which was a struck film. Um, I guess interesting. I thought it. W- I thought the films that were in the past were okay, but apparently that still qualifies. A uh, film like The Dark Knight. Wow. These rules get very, very confusing, you know. Um, but um, but yeah, they're calling Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, Mother Nature graphic novel an aim at the forces contributing to climate change. So there you go. There you go. Um, but that is um, Comic-Con, um, but then, uh, of course, our favorite comic book uh, show on right now on Disney Plus, that is what? Secret Invasion! So, episode five, you know, kind of assured all of us what we thought Talos is, that they're killing off a lot of characters on the show, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, well, I mean, it's it's thus far, it's only two um, major characters. Yeah, Maria and Talos, played by Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. I don't, I mean, thus far I've been a little disappointed by Secret Invasion. I thought it would be, really? I thought it, 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 it's, like, I know they're going for a slow burn and everything, but it's really slow. <laughs> no doubt, some really slow parts where I have to pause. Yeah, and get something um, done and go back to it because it's so slow. But there's some really hot action packed moments yeah, as well. Yeah, there are. Like, uh, like for one thing, they introduced, um, you know, Nick Fury's wife, and uh, you know, she's a scroll and everything. But it's like, it's really like, I mean, they they kind of like introduced her out of nowhere and. Maybe maybe I just need to like um, watch it when I'm not like multitasking. But like I didn't really give a shit about his wife at all. <laughs> and uh, when you're intimate with a scroll, yeah, uh, that's turned into human, is their vagina the same? I'm wondering if it's Sam. No, I would think so. Like they've uh, they've shown like scrolls have the ability to like move like their because they shape shift, they can move like body parts too. Like, uh, so, I mean, at least in the comics, I don't know. They haven't shown anything like that. Yeah. But, like, this you know, time, so, so Skrull... Jackson's banging there. his wife and has no idea that she's a Skrull till very recently. Right, right. <laughs> well, you can... You she's can got away with it. So like, maybe, maybe it's the same as if you marry someone, you only have sex uh, with the lights off. <laughs> when, when you I'm sorry that you're going through that now, Zod. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, but um, you know, um, episode five was called Harvest. We re- revealed some details about Gravik's plan. Of course, mm-hmm. that's the um, the main antagonist, played by uh, that uh, pen guy, right? Um, yeah, he was, he was, Ben Adir. 
Benadir, yeah. that's his name, that's not right. Benadir. Okay. That's right, yeah. Um, and of course, um, the episode brings back Olivia Coleman's um spy, Sonia Fallsworth. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna see a basically a big battle. I'm gonna get a big uh battle between Fury, Gaia, uh, Fury's wife, and Gravik, and the and the bad scrolls, I guess, is gonna yeah. be yeah. They'll 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 have to have something with uh with Rhodey too. And Rhodey. Are we gonna see the real Rhodey? I don't know. I hope so. I yeah. mean, I, I would imagine I would imagine they have to reintroduce Rhodey because he's gonna be. They have a movie like the Armor Wars. Armor movie. Wars, yeah. Yeah. So I imagine you know the the scroll that's portraying Rhodey and the real Rhodey will be uh, battling. Um, hopefully, be revealed in this final episode. Yeah. And of course, Gaia. You gotta love Amelia Clark. The Mother of Dragons is now a super scroll, so she has some abilities mm-hmm. to be a formidable opponent to Gravik, because Gravik is has got that Groot power, right? He, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know the super scroll in the comics. Like, do you know anything about them? I they can also not only manipulate themselves physically, but also mimic the abilities of others, right? Well, no, it's only specific scrolls that can do that. But the the most famous super scroll is. Um, and he's actually like he's a hero now. He's not a villain. He used to he was a villain for a long time, but he's like um he has the powers of the Fantastic Four. And I thought it was kind of a neat thing they did oh, where oh, since they didn't want to introduce okay. the Fantastic Four, they took four other characters from the MCU that have similar powers <laughs> to uh to emulate that for the Super Scrolls. You know, because so Groot instead of Mr. Fantastic and then the extremists instead of the Human Torch and um, Call Obsidian instead of the thing for the super strength. And I guess, yeah. And then the like a frost giant or something for the invisible woman, which I thought was a neat idea. I thought that was kind of neat that they did that instead of having to do that. But yeah. All right. All right. We're going to wrap up, wrap up in a few minutes um, over on Netflix. Um, not much on Netflix. They didn't make a presence known at San Diego Comic-Con, but they just dropped a trailer for One Piece. Um, if you don't know what One Piece is, it's a very popular manga series. And uh, apparently they're doing a live action. I checked out the trailer and it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. The, I, have a, I had a friend uh, from Improv who was really into One Piece, the anime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... I'm assuming the live action is still is a live action like American made or Japanese made. You know what? It, it looks like the protagonists are Americans. So I guess it will be like an American adaptation based okay. upon what I saw. Yeah. So uh, basically the crew finds a ship to sail and sets out on a treasure hunt across the high seas to become the king of the pirates. Yeah. And you have to uh, battle an unforgiving sea as well as dangerous rivals. So there you go. That's the uh, log line. And over on Hulu FX, Kim Kardashian, I can't believe she'll be a series regular on American Horror Story. And maybe I should be relieved I'm no longer watching American Horror Story. With 1984, I think, being the last one I saw and tuned in for. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. Same with you, right? You stopped watching yeah. it, too? But was it, was become, it that bad? Yeah, it's become too much, like, over the years. It's just, I mean, the writing has gotten so bad on there. Out of... Um, 
if um, Ryan uh, Murphy has just been focusing on all of the other projects. Um, yes, that's well, what what's I did. The, what's the best season of American Horror Story? Because I've never seen it. So. Like, early ones. I loved Coven. Coven was good. Okay. And, yeah, which and one Freak was that? Coven and Freak Show. Um, oh, was Coven the one with the witches and it takes place yeah. in New Orleans? Yeah, that was fantastic. Okay. Yeah, see, see, I enjoyed Coven too, but a lot of people didn't like it. But I mean, most most fans of the series loved the first two. Um, Murder was it Murder House, and then um, uh, well, Asylum. season one was Murder House. Uh, season two yeah. was Asylum. Asylum. Yeah. So one and two. Season- are generally known as the best seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Tune in, maybe I'll try to but, resume, pick up afterwards. Yeah, but usually it, it starts off, it starts off um, kind of good and just totally falls apart. Like, and it will keep on changing throughout the season. Yeah. Storylines. It's just. I thought that with Apocalypse, Apocalypse kind of went all over the place. So if I could pop, yeah. Apocalypse was the one that came right before 1984, I believe. And uh, yeah, and the worst one was the one um, Roanoke. Roanoke about the reality show. Yeah, that, yeah that was... it was like, yeah, it was like they were filming a reality show, but like the reality show is what you saw first, and then you saw them filming that show. Yeah. So like everything you watched in the beginning wasn't real. It was just, I don't know. It was really and weird. Kim Kardashian's going to be one of the top build stars. I mean, oh my yeah. God. I mean, you got Emma Roberts, who already has proven an amazing actress in, which, in all the seasons she's done. And right. then you have Carrie Develine. Who is beautiful and um, she's already, you know, established herself not only as a great model but sent it into a great actress. Yeah. Then you have Kim Kardashian, who doesn't really have any acting ability right. or as as any notable credits and just jumping into a role like this. Um, but um, I don't know. It's called delicate. AHS delicate. delicate. Yep. Uh, based on this one's based on Danielle Valentine valentine's delicate condition which is described as a gripping thriller about a woman who is desperate to have a family but she starts to suspect that a sinister figure is going to great lengths to make sure she doesn't get pregnant wow that sounds, that sounds horrible like, so, it sounds horrible so, so the, the horror season is called delicate delicate <laughs> ahs delicate yeah yeah it, it doesn't sound too um thrilling yeah, you think of delicate, you think it's gonna be like it's very G or PG. You right, know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you see Kim Kardashian wearing a long blonde wig and a black dress and cradling what is presumed to be a baby. Yep. Um, and this one's interesting. This is Ryan Reynolds bringing back Al. Now, um, he's got something like Tubi. It's called the Maximum Effort Channel. I don't know. Ryan Reynolds is very, he's a very brave entrepreneur, tackling like things like Mint Mobile. Like, oh yeah. I don't know why anyone would leave Verizon or AT&T for Mint Mobile, but nonetheless, he's, he's got his own channel now called Maximum Effort. And uh, it's free to stream on FUBU and Freevee and Tubi. Um, <laughs> and he's acquired the rights to the 1980s sitcom signature puppet, um, ALF. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> and you can check out – I'll send you the link, guys. There is a link of all those uh, – so is it is it just uh, is he making new episodes of Alf? It's most he's more more like a um a flow like what would progressive is the flow like you know like a like a brand ambassador like a brand ambassador promoting the product yeah okay yeah so um but yeah you could, like it'd be like a lot of fun in real life 
Yeah, he's, yeah, he's maybe like a, a cool guy. Yeah, he's uh, well, he's yeah, he's he's our Deadpool, right? You know, yeah, like, he's uh, and he's. I mean, he he brings a lot of it i mean he wrote he wrote deadpool and he yeah. so yeah yeah and i hope deadpool does resume uh production is one of the films that was affected by the strike because uh oh. you know we saw ryan reynolds in deadpool gear we saw hugh jackman with the yellow signature wolverine suit and still don't love second. that but <laughs> it's okay. yeah i know you're not you were big enough but I, you know it, it, it paused production and it's only going to delay yeah. the film from being released because of this strike. But yeah, it's interesting uh, really quick about the strike is that a lot of A-listers are supporting in solidarity through their social media platforms, but are not showing up to the picket lines. Okay. So they're wondering where the hell is Ben Affleck and Leo DiCaprio and, you know, uh, Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence, Rami Malek, who are the ones who are most vocal on their social medias yet. They have yet to appear on the picket line. So, I mean, I think I'm sure it's a security issue. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that'll be my guess of why they weren't there, you know. But well, I think uh, a lot of them do show up just for like an hour or whatever, get their photo ops. And exactly. I mean, that's maybe my, that um, theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they announce it, they have to do it unannounced. Yeah. They want to switch, uh, you know. You know, you have, like I said, um, Hallmark movies like uh, When Calls the Heart. It's actually a Hallmark Media Family's Western, and that's how I allowed to shoot right now, oh. you know, because it doesn't fall under the contract, you know. Um, I guess I'll skip uh, celebrity gossip because that could go a little long. And that, uh, maybe we can bring that up next week of the controversy yeah, with Jason Aldean, and and then of course it's eleven thirty. It's eleven thirty, yeah. And of course, you know the. Yeah, um, oh, we're gonna get after by eleven fifteen. Exactly. So we'll skip celebrity <laughs> gossip and maybe we'll <laughs> for next week. But we do have some RIPs, you know. Um, wow. um, yeah, and um, some significant names on this list. But to um, play on that, some close, very close to RIP news, um, but not hopefully praying that everyone will be okay. Includes Tori Kelly, who was rushed to Cedar Sinai's hospital. Actually, she passed out while having dinner with friends in, in downtown L.A., and they found blood clots in her legs and lungs, and her condition's really serious, so our, our thoughts and wishes are with Tori Kelly. She's a young artist. She was on American Idol. Um, she just won uh, the 2019 Best Gospel Album. Our well wishes are with Tori Kelly. That oh, she's wow. Okay, yeah. And then with Jamie Foxx, he just broke his months-long silence on Instagram and said he didn't want to um, reveal his diagnosis because he didn't want pictures to show with tubes running out of him and basically trying, figuring out whether Jamie Foxx was going to make it or not. So he said, wow. I want to everybody that's prayed, send me messages, can't be to tell you how long it took me to write back, blah, blah, blah. But Jamie Foxx is going to be okay. Okay, good. However, we did lose a couple others. Um, we got, um, Josephine Chaplin, the daughter of Charlie Chaplin, sadly died at the age of 74 in Paris. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's also an actress in several foreign films like uh, Canterbury Tales and Richard Balducci's Le Dur Le Fall. I'm actually surprised that Charlie Chaplin's daughter was that young. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. 
I was expecting to hear like 90 or something. Yeah. She was born in 1949, so Charlie Chaplin Chaplin had her really old. An old, yeah, an old age. Yeah. And don't forget the smoke show granddaughter of Una is Una Chaplin. Is that the da- daughter of um, Josephine Chaplin? I wonder if. I, I mean, they had they had quite a few family members in the Chaplin family, but. Wait, Charlie Chaplin had a hot granddaughter. Oh my God! Did you see her naked in Game of Thrones with with Richard Stark or um or uh, Rob Stark? Oh, was Red- that her? That's her. Oh my God! That that was Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter. Yep. Luna oh Chap- God, she was amazing. Isn't she hot? Yeah. Una Chaplin. <laughs> yes. What a unique name, Una Chaplin. Yeah, I remember as soon as I saw that name, I was I looked her up because I I kind of fell in love with her character because I thought she was hot. Yeah. And she she was one of the actresses that got the most naked on on the show. Um, but um, yeah, she is indeed um, um. Part of the Chaplin family. Her parent, her mother is Geraldine Chaplin, mm-hmm. and the daughter daughter of Charlie Chaplin, the first of eight children with his fourth wife. So Josephine you know. Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin was sixty years old when Josephine Chaplin was born. Good for wow. Him. Sixty. Wow. Yeah. So he had yeah quite a quite a career and quite a life, you know. Yeah. Just like a Pacino and De Niro. Right. Um, so. Yeah. We also lost um, Harlan Glenn, who won a Tony Award for in 1979, originating the role of Madame Monia Stanley in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Mm. Sadly, she passed away at the age of 83. And this one is a legend, guys. That's right. He's an American treasure. Um, singer, showman, one of the wow. most successful... Yeah. Pop jazz singers um, for a career that spanned 70 years. Tony Bennett um, mm-hmm. passed away at the age of 96 in New York um, in his hometown. He had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's five years ago. But, wow. you know, um, of course, he had a career resurgence with his duets album with Lady Gaga and Amy um, Winehouse. Of course, his um, initial. Case of superstardom was his I Left My Heart in San Francisco, which he recorded in 1962. Um, wow, it just seemed it seemed like he was able to surpass um, time, you know, throughout the yeah, decade, still, still being an icon, still being relevant. You know, like, wasn't he on like MTV, too? Like um, doing exactly. the um, song yep. on MTV, like back in like the 90s. And, That's and, exactly you know, he was it. old back then. <laughs> He was already old back then. He was showing up at the MTV Awards with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And right, was, yeah. That's what it was. Yep, yeah. yep. He would show up on The Simpsons, Late Night with David Letterman. Um, and he scored a hit with a 1992 album, Perfectly Frank, his homage to Frank Sinatra. And then he also did MTV Unplugged. You know? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He yes. Always, um, on the cutting edge, even at his older age. Yes. And then in 2011, had a hit album, Duets, and uh, Duets 2 specifically, released on his 85th birthday in 2011 with the number one album of his career and 2014's Cheek to Cheek, his first LP with Lady Gaga. At age 88, the oldest performer to have a number one album. So some 10 recordings. So, uh, 
So, yes. Um, so that's the rest in peace, the major rest in peace for this week. And of course, with death, we celebrate life. Matt LeBlanc, Joey from Friends, is 56. Happy birthday, Joey. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> Actor Miriam Shore from Swingtown. She's 52. And One Tree Hill actors both turning 38 on the same day. James Lafferty and Chantel Van Santen. But not Johnny Alonzo. <laughs> not Johnny Alonzo is not turning 38. <laughs> His dreams. Oh, he'd love to hear that one. Yeah. And yeah, uh, so yeah, that's I'm not really recognizing any of the other names, so won't announce them. Yeah, but my, uh, my nephew Jude is turning turned six today. Jude McFly. Happy happy, happy birthday, birthday, Jude. Jude. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jude. Wow, this is an incredible show from top to bottom. We're gonna close tonight with another classic cut as well as General Zod's interview. This is a long interview, Zod. With the one and only actor Aaron Douglas from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Wow, you had did you did you include our with did you include our little uh, uh, our unexpected guest on the interview? <laughs> yeah, that we're gonna hear a a red shirt interrupt the interview and uh, yeah, kind of like um, how do they say wear out wear out their welcome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did um Zod get yelled at in this interview? No, he did not get yelled at. Aaron Douglas actually liked Zod. Okay, good. I think Zod has to ask the uh, the the celebrity, is there anything that might piss you off? <laughs> you know, you know, I saw the I saw the um the promos they for Baltimore Comic Con and Howard Chaikin's gonna be there again this year. Oh, <laughs> we did a follow up. Yeah, dude, I think it's well, you know what? You have I think it's comic book creators and maybe because. I don't know. It's something about comic creators that that maybe uh, I don't know. I think well, those are funny because it nobody knows more about the fact than that you. comic book creators aren't as polished when it comes to things like interviews and dealing yes. with people because they write or they draw, and that's like more of a solitary thing most of the time. Right. And so, <laughs> well, I think a lot of them we, too are like kind of upset that you know they haven't been treated as well. You know, maybe. Actors have you know, right and have I'm getting paid you know, mm-hmm. as much as you know like, like their works are so well known they probably haven't gotten yeah and I, and I and I freely take the blame for like because I probably shouldn't have called him a curmudgeon curmudgeon I didn't realize <laughs> what curmudgeon <laughs> he meant <laughs> and like, yeah contrarian that, he likes contrarian that's yeah. so funny oh that was so funny though it was that that was funny it was, it was worth the price of mission alone yeah it was definitely. <laughs> so we're closing out tonight's show. With uh, the interview that Zod conducted, and right after that, we got to throw out a double cut, um, a tribute to Tony Bennett. And I picked this particular song, Body and Soul, from the Duets 2 album, The Great Performances, with another icon gone too soon. That's Amy Winehouse. So, yeah, definitely. So, if you listen to this song, there are two greats that are no longer with us, of course, Tony Bennett, who lived a full, amazing life, and then Amy Winehouse, who passed away at the age of 27. And as you know, there's a lot of artists over the years, Kurt Cobain and many others yeah. that have died at the age of 27, which but Jimi Hendrix, right? Jimi Hendrix. Uh, yep. Uh, Janis Joplin. And um, interestingly enough, there's a coffee shop that opened by Machine Gun Kelly in Cleveland, Ohio, called the 27 Coffee Club, which is dedicated to all those artists that passed away at the age of 27. I believe um, um, the original Joker, Heath Ledger, 
um, from The Dark Knight Returns. Not the original Joker. That was Jack Nicholson. The the, the Joker from The Dark Knight trilogy. Um, yeah. Passed also at the age of 27. So. Yeah. So. But nonetheless, yes, we're going to end with that tonight. Um, next week is our summer season finale. Um, and wow, we're looking forward to ending on a high note. Um, next week, our Star Trek interviews with uh, the stars of Star Trek Voyager, including Robert Picardo and uh, Bonnie Gordon. And uh, we're going to bring back our picks, our pay-per-view picks for SummerSlam. We've been bringing the picks back, Chachi. Uh, oh, wow. The wrestling, the wrestling fiction aisles, like Big Paul, Darth Wallace, and Michael Doherty, and Wes Whitlock um, to talk wrestling, and we're doing it. We're bringing it back monthly now, so this is the, the week we're bringing, bringing back the, the the wrestling picks. <laughs> Bring about BTV old school. Damn. But that's next week. So on behalf, so on behalf of the panel here, the king of the eighties, Chachi McFly, right, uh, Mike the General Zod, who was who's off to Mexico. Uh, yeah, south of the border. Trip. Kelly Christopher, NASA ambassador uh, from our friends over that was disappointing, and of course, Doctor C. Alex Young, the NASA scientist, astrophysicist. Thank you so much for a great interview, guys. We will see you next week. Till then, peace. My life a wreck. You're making. You know I'm yours But just a ticket I gladly serve you Myself to you Body and soul Hey everyone, this is Mike the General Zod here for Below the Belt Show and click on this with uh, here at the amazing Shore Leave in Hunt Valley, Maryland in um, July of 2023. And I am, it's my grand privilege to be here with Aaron Douglas. Aaron Douglas has had quite the career. You might know him from Battlestar Galactica, that's probably his biggest role, but you might also know him, how I know him, from uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, where he, he played a very, very bad man who loved his dog. Or you might know him from the excellent, um, excellent graphic novel that he wrote, Ten years to death. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And it is uh, came out from Aftershock Comics. But here I am with Aaron Douglas. How are you? I am doing fantastic, <laughs> and it is incredibly. Uh, I am so glad to talk to you today. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, it's the end of a Saturday at a con. For those of you who have been to a con, you know exactly what that fracking means. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's seven, whatever, I don't know. It's back home, I don't know what time it is. But uh, yeah, it's the end of the day. I've been talking a lot, but I am here, thrilled to be with the boys and uh, you fabulous people, and to have a few minutes to chat about whatever the hell you want to talk about. Okay, where's back home for you, Aaron? Vancouver. Vancouver. That's why I'm in all the Hallmark movies, yes. because I live in Vancouver and yeah. Hallmark shows. You didn't do lots Vancouver. of CW stuff? Though? Yeah, I did a bunch of CW stuff. They shoot a lot of CW stuff in Vancouver as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I've just been very blessed and very fortunate to uh, live in a city that just happens to film a whole ton of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think of Baltimore so far? Oh. Um, 
This is my, oh, yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> we should probably pause this. But yeah, he's welcome to come. All right, up. all right, we got ourselves a, uh, a, a grand new, uh, you know, guest star on the show. He's a red shirt, so he's gonna die soon. Don't, don't, don't kill me! Please, please! I don't deserve to die! Of course not. I know I'm supposed to die, but I really don't want to. And My scanners indicate that you are doing a podcast of some sort. Yes, yes. we are. Yeah. And I am interrupting you. That I'm being very rude. That that no, that would be okay because you're going to die soon anyway. So yeah. it's. But that makes me sad. It does. It does. You seem to enjoy this concept. I do. How can you? How can you do that to me? Because <laughs> it's Battlestar Galactica. Because I was Nobody much more of a Star Wars fan. But I'm a human being. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay because the Federation will honor you. Yeah, they will, won't they? Thank you so much. You're welcome. You make me feel so much better. You are worthy. Thank you. Good evening, gentlemen. It's shore leaves. And it is shore leaves, so we can expect stuff like that. I wish I had an airlock. I would have given him the boiled cabbage stench of Cali treatment, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, I guess nicotine's still a big thing in the Federation. Man, I didn't realize that they blew darts in the Federation. Yeah, you step off the Enterprise to have a couple of smokes and then come back in. Holy yeah. moly! Yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm sure by then they found the cure for lung yeah. cancer. So yeah, yeah okay. You still, it doesn't mean you still need to be the Marlboro Man at a con. Come on, like, reel yourself in, bud. <laughs> so. Uh, Aaron, why don't you uh, why don't you tell me first of all about like uh, have you heard any rumblings about like a remake or a reboot of Battlestar Galactica and would they, you be involved in that? Uh, I would be if they asked, but they're not going to ask because from what I understand is uh, anything that they're going to do is going to be in our universe, our world, but without us, which I don't understand because it's Ooh. called the Battlestar Galactica. It's not right. the Battlestar Rumpelstiltskin. There's like, there's not another ship. If there's another ship, like, if you said, oh, no, we're going to follow the Pegasus around, well, then that's not Battlestar Galactica. That's Battlestar that's Pegasus. Battlestar Pegasus, yeah. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, I trust what uh, Mr. Robot will do because he's a great storyteller. But I, from what I understand, it has nothing to do with us. Okay, and okay. So it, it's... Um, if somebody wants to go back into our world and tell more stories during the lifetime of us, or before us, or chief in Scotland just wandering around by himself, I am fully on board with that. Okay, okay. So you, you definitely pick up the phone if they call. Oh, you always pick up the phone. Exactly. No, I, I love Battlestar. I love Chief. Um, I would love to do some more. I just don't see any way that it can happen because we've told our story. So um, it would have to be after or before. And I'm not losing the weight. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so um, I guess moving on from that, I guess uh, this is more of a generalized question, but one of the things that always fascinates me, we come to these cons all the time, and uh, you have a unique, um, I guess a, a, a unique place in um, celebrity dumb where you may not be a household name, and, no. and, and that's totally okay, that. yeah. but you've, uh, you've kind of carved out your own like place, and a lot of that is in showing up to cons like this, these conventions, like, you know, catering to uh, like really, really devoted fans. 
fans who probably ask you all sorts of questions that I couldn't even begin to ask you. And you know, there's the uh, the whole um, like that old Saturday Night Live bit with William Shatner. The he uh, so so. What's your perspective on that? Like, how do you feel? Like, I, I'm guessing you didn't go into acting thinking you'd just be a genre actor. No, it, to be honest with you, when I started acting, I didn't know that cons existed. Okay. So I didn't know this was a thing until we got a few years into Battlestar and somebody asked me if I wanted to go to a sci-fi convention or a convention. I'm, I don't know what that is. And then uh, I figured out what it is. These things are magical places. Um, and a convention, sci-fi, comic book conventions, comic cons, they are a, a representation of what the world should be. Mm-hmm. It is so inclusive. Everybody's welcome. Um, you can wear a crossover costume, mix up three different shows, and people just go, wow, that's really cool. Uh, the lack of judgment at a con is a really beautiful thing. The embracing of everybody from every culture, from every creed, from LGBTQ+, uh, trans, it's just, uh, it's a beautiful thing, and it's as the world should be, which I, I think is a, a wonderful thing. And and you come to a con, you're a demigod for a weekend, you know? People are just like so effusive. We don't walk around life going to other uh, wa- other jobs, other careers, and just tell people just how much we appreciate what they do. And probably we should. We should probably go to all the teachers and just go, thank you, thank you, you're amazing. We should probably go to the police and the nurses and the doctors and uh, the person at Starbucks that gives you that extra little special something, the person at your local pub or restaurant that gives you the extra little something, we, we should be a little more effusive in our praise of people who just do the things that make our lives a little more special and a little more interesting and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you get when you go to a con. You just get uh, cameras in your face and people telling you how amazing you are. And then I go home and it just I have to take the garbage out and my wife kicks <laughs> me in the ass. So it's uh, no, it's uh, the conventions are a, a special place and the people that attend them are special people. It's. Um, it's really, really cool, and uh, if they'll keep having me back, I'll do this to the end of time, because uh, they are really special weekends, um, and I really enjoy my time. Well, that is that is well said, and it shows how like these kind of cons can be the great equalizers. Yeah. And Nobody gives a shit who you are, where you come from, how much you make, or what you do for a living. Uh, maybe what you do for a living is interesting, and maybe it's just, you know, I just have a Joe job, but it doesn't matter. Your your opinion of this show is equal to everyone else's opinion of that show because it's your opinion and everybody's entitled to their opinion. It may be wrong, but uh, you're entitled to it. <laughs> Were you a big geek growing up? No. I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian house. So I didn't have a TV till I was 14. Really? So my, my upbringing is antithetical to my life at its current moment. Wow, that's wow. a that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, yeah. I am so tempted to ask you more about your childhood and your home life, but that would be a different. Podcast. I'm going to offend people. A lot of people <laughs> if I start talking about that. <laughs> so okay, so let's let's talk more about well. Uh, there's a there's kind of an infamous thing that happened today at the uh, at the con where uh, you were. Uh, what did you, Grace do? Yeah, you were in a you were in a panel with Grace Park, and you asked her specifically who the best kisser was. Yeah. And, and she said Trisha, which is fair, <laughs> which is very fair. Fair. That's fair, Grace. It's fair. So so if I were to ask you the same question, what would you say? 
Between Grace and Tomo? Yeah. Oh, Tomo's a far better Chris than Grace. Um, especially when he shaves. Yeah, it's nice. Right, right, right. Who's a better kisser, me or Tomo? Well, there's a difference. Grace talks about it. There's a difference between TV kissing and, uh, like, Sexy kissing, like real kissing. Yeah, and I've I've never kissed Grace in sexy kissing way. That's actually that's actually a really great point. So we've can only you, had... can you talk about the difference between TV kissing and um, and sexy kissing? TV kissing is there's you know 40 people watching and you have to hold your head in the right way and you have to get the light uh -huh. and you have to just go smoochy smoochy and keep your mouth closed and right there is fine. Just put it right there. You're good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she smashed a bottle. Yeah. Oh my glass eye. Uh, so you have to be a little, um, yeah, it's all about angles and stuff, and you're doing it like 17, cut, okay, you go away, you get on your phone, okay, come back, you're kissing again, alright, now it's from here, now it's from here, now it's from the side, now it's from this side, now there's a light, now we don't have a big wide shot, uh -huh. so by the end of it, it's like, as beautiful as the person, the other person may be, uh, it, it, it's, it's not, it's, it's just not appealing, it's well, like, what was your first on-screen kiss? Holy moly. Um, probably on Battlestar. Would it be on Battlestar? I would guess that it was on Battlestar. You know what? It's probably Grace Park. Holy okay. shit! No one's ever asked me. Can I say shit? <laughs> you can. You can. You can fucking swear as much as you want on here. Holy fucking shit! It's probably Grace Park. Can you remind me of that tomorrow? I'm gonna talk to Grace and say I want to ask her the same question. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think it's probably Grace, 2003. She's probably the first on-screen kiss. I mean, Tomo and I used to make out all the time, but that was before Battlestar, oh, okay. and it was of off course, camera. Of but, course, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tomo, suck it. Um, no, don't. Um, uh, yeah, I think. You know what? I really think it's probably Grace. Oh, that's a really interesting question. I've never thought of that. Okay. Um, huh. Yeah. You know what? I will ponder that, and I'll go back. You know what? My friend Michelle, Michelle, you know exactly who it is. So you're going to watch this interview and you're going to blow up my phone and go, here are the kisses that you did in order uh, from all the TV shows. <laughs> the uh, Aaron Douglas fans stuck and the Facebook page and all that is run by my friend Michelle who lives in Melbourne, Australia. She's the best. If you have any questions about anything I've ever done, and I don't know the answer. Michelle knows the answer. Michelle in Melbourne. Michelle in Melbourne, Australia. The uh, the Aaron Douglas fans, eighty fans uh, Facebook page. She will. She has everything. She's awesome. Okay. Shout out, Michelle. <laughs> so so let's move on to um, let's move on to your work in graphic novels. Like, yes. Uh, with with Aftershock Comics, I had the opportunity to read uh, uh, Ten Years to Death. And it was phenomenal. Thank you. And I heard that that was semi-autobiographical. Uh, yeah, when I was eight years old, uh, one of my uncles was living with us and he worked at a prison. And he would come home after work and he would tell my dad stories from the prison for the day. And one night he came home in the middle of the night very, very late. And I was asleep, but I heard them downstairs. My uncle was very upset, so I got up, I sat at the top of the stairs and uh, listened to my uncle tell the story to my dad. And it freaked me out. And my uncle swore my dad to secrecy and said, you cannot tell this story to anybody because the prison's going to bury what happened. And they did successfully, but it's haunted me for years. And so my buddy Joe Pruitt, who is uh, the publisher. And I think at, he's here uh, today. He's, yeah, he's sitting right there having a burger. Uh, he said, hey, that's a comic book. Um, let's make it. So I wrote it and they made it. 
and uh, yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it was cathartic to finally get this off my chest because it was a. Um, it's a weird story. It's a dark story. It's yeah. weird. It's it is. Like, it is dark. No way. No way that happened. Yeah, it did happen because that's how I remember. It. And I gave the book to my dad, and he said, "How did you know that?" Oh, I sat at the top of the stairs, Dad. He just like, holy moly! You can't tell your uncle that you wrote this down. <laughs> so, no, no. so my uncle hasn't read the book yet. Um, but yeah, so um, that book's out, and the next book series comes out in uh, the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first book. I'm doing a three-book series with my buddy Mark Verheiden, who ran the writer's room of Battlestar Galactica. And we have a book called Borealis for Dark Horse Comics. And uh, it, the first book comes out in around Halloween. And then a few weeks later, it'll be the second book. And the, before the end of the year, it'll be the third book. And if that goes well, uh, we're going to do series two of the same story, continue it on uh, into 2024. We're That's, very excited about that. That is super exciting. And... Um so, before before we wrap up our interview today, is there anything else you want to plug? I know uh, any new projects in the work besides the writing. The writer strike is on right now, so nobody's really doing anything. Uh, but I did a Hallmark movie earlier this year with Erin Krakow, who I adore. Uh, she is on When Calls the Heart. We did a movie called The Wedding Cottage, which has already come out. I did a movie uh, for Lifetime called. It hasn't come out yet, but it's called Buying Back My daughter. It is a true story uh, about human trafficking. It is a horrifying story. Okay. Uh, my buddy Troy Scott directed. He was the third AD on Battlestar. And so there's the fun connection. It's the first time he's ever directed me. And I did a, a movie with Candace Bure, uh, Candace Cameron Bure, uh, for her new network, uh, Great American Family, called My American Hero. Or my, I'm okay. no, sorry, My Christmas Hero. Great American Family, My Christmas Hero. Which comes out at Christmas time, and it is so sweet, and it's such a lovely film. It will be, uh, it'll be a great, great Christmas film. So you're like the Hallmark movies, Candace movies that are so sweet. Um, yeah, it's a very big departure from Battlestar, but um, yeah, you'll enjoy it. Well, it, it's good to show your range, and it's good to show that you contain multitudes. Yes, something like that. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's right. That's right. And uh, my uh, my amazing co- esteemed colleague, esteemed colleague Al Soto, wanted me to make sure to ask you about how you you were tight with Katie Sackhoff, right? Oh, uh, we all love Katie Sackhoff. So uh, now that she's uh, now that she's on the Mandalorian, would you want to follow her there? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> I'd be a stormtrooper. I'd be the thing that's buried <laughs> under the dirt. It's Star Wars. Star Wars. Hey, Star Wars. Please hire me. I would love to be on Star Wars. I'm so jealous of Katie. Uh, Katie is awesome. She's a beautiful human being. She's a wonderful mother and a wonderful wife. And she's a good friend. And she's very funny. And she's a great actress. And uh, frack you, Katie. Star Wars. God damn it. Uh, I'm very happy for her. But yeah, I would love to follow Katie onto uh, some Star Wars project anywhere, anytime. Okay. All right, well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you for having me. This is Aaron Douglas, an amazing talent. He's done all sorts of cool things and told Katie Sackhoff to frack off. So it's... uh, With love. With with love, love, of course. (laughs) And uh, if you could... um, could you, yeah, just uh, you know, just do a little promo for Below the Belt show? Just 
introduce yourself and say uh, say some bon mot and uh, you're uh, you're listening to, to Below the Belt Show. Hi, I'm Aaron Douglas, Chief from Battlestar Galactica. You're watching and listening to the Below the Belt Show. Yes. Also, go frack yourself. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for of taking course. the time. Not at all. And you have been a fantastic guest. Well, it has been a ill show tonight, and I think we have all learned some valuable lessons. This is your bot for the bad boys of Baltimore saying, Until next time, keep chilling. Like a villain. Bye, goodbye, 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 goodbye.